0: Hello everyone, this is Stephen Hill from the Riot Act podcast speaking. How are you? I hope you're well. Um, You're about to listen to our podcast um, with myself and my co-host and colleague Renfrey Dedman in a moment. But before we get to the podcast that we're giving to you today, I thought I'd just give you a little bit of background on what it actually is as it was recorded in a time when uh, we didn't really know exactly how or when or why this particular podcast was going to get rolled out. Um, What you're about to listen to is the first in a series of Riot Act classic album series. So Renfrew and I sat down um, a couple of months ago and we decided that we wanted to do something bigger. Uh, we wanted to do something more in depth on some of our favourite albums ever made. I want to shout out a couple of people. I wish I had your names from from Twitter and Facebook. But after we did our albums of the decade, somebody said, can you do more stuff on Patreon? Which we absolutely should have been doing. Um, and somebody also said, I'd love to hear a top 20 albums ever from both of you guys. Now, I thought rather than do 20 albums... It's hard to pick just 20 albums ever. We thought maybe we'd go a little bit further than that and pick 50. I actually picked 56. I think Renfrey's picked about 52. Uh, So overall, that's 106 records um, that we absolutely love, like absolutely love that to our minds are genuine classic records and um, we wanted to go in depth and deep in every single one of them we wanted to do a full-blown podcast for, for every single record on that list so that is absolutely what we're going to do and you're about to hear the very very first one uh, it is Rimfree picking Guns and Roses classic use your illusion 2. Um um I should say where the rest of them are going to go though cuz this is obviously episode 1 of what will be episodes up to episode 106 uh, and and beyond possibly. So um this one we're giving to you for free um and so you know so you can know and understand what it is and After that, they will be going up on our Patreon page. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash Podcast, there, many of you um, have already donated a sum of money uh, to the podcast to help it run and just to show your appreciation for Renfrew and I's work um, uh, in the the show, which we massively, massively, massively appreciate. We did decide that um, we were going to add another tier, and this feels like a good extra tier for you guys. So what you will get, if you are someone who donates a pound, anything from a pound to £4.99, you will continue to get the rioters reviews, which we've been doing for about a year or so. Um, at this point, there will be a rioters review going up every week. So if you are on our Patreon page and you can spare a pound, we um, hugely appreciate that. Uh, you can suggest an album, any album in the world for me and Renfrey to uh, just kind of casually chat about over a kind of half an hour, 40 minute period. And that's what we've been doing for the last year or so. If you decide that you really want to support the podcast and, and and give us as much as you possibly can. Anything over £5, you will get access to the Classic Album series. So every other week, either Renfrew or myself, so once a month you'll get two uh, two classic albums, one of mine, one of Renfrew's, uh, and we will speak for a long time (laughs) as we do we will be speaking for a long time about this particular record so um, I think the Guns N' Roses one is clocks in around two hours Um, we've done around two hours just under two hours on Marilyn Manson's Antichrist Superstar we have done a massive monolithic three and a half hour chat on the wall by Pink Floyd and we are just about to record a chat about Radiohead's um, the the in rainbows and OK computer mashup known as one zero zero one. So they'll be the first four. Um, they will be going up on our Patreon page from kind of from now basically. So we'd absolutely love it if you you would sign up and uh, and join us to chat about those records. It would be hugely hugely appreciated. Obviously, I understand that at the moment this is a very difficult time for everyone, and um, some of you might feel like. That's a bit of a stretch. Uh, if you go over to riotactpodcast.com on our website, we are going to be putting the episodes up to be purchased individually. So if you just want to listen to one specific particular record and you don't feel that you can contribute £5 a month, um, then you know feel free to buy one over there. Also, like this one, we will be giving a few away. I think we're going to be giving this one out for free so you guys can see what it is. Uh, then Marilyn Manson will be going up on the Patreon page. And then the first half of the chat, with matt reynolds from haggard cat about the wall by pink floyd will also be going up for free as well so we will be kind of dripping these out we don't want it to be a kind of super elitist you must give us money thing but also at the same time um what with the world being the way it is it's uh it's fucking mad isn't it and um you know we obviously want to give people as much content as we possibly can so that's what this is and hopefully you'll listen to it and you'll go yeah that does feel like something that i'm willing to contribute to if not then um, enjoy this free one anyway and we will be giving the weekly show away for free obviously and we will continue to do rioters reviews and specials we've got a whole bunch of stuff in the pipeline including chats with Trailer the Dead including chats with Matt Heafy from Trivium all that stuff's going to go up as well so we're just trying to kind of ramp up the amount of content we give you with Riot Act and this is just another arm of it if you can support us we would be eternally grateful for you um, or to you I should say uh, but in the meantime Enough of my waffling. Here is Renfrey and I doing the first ever Riot Act classic album series on Guns N' Roses classic Use Your Illusion 2. Hello, welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. This is a brand new Podcast series that we are doing called Riot Act Classic Album Series, and this is episode one of it. My name is Stephen Hill, I'm your host alongside this gentleman, Renfrew Dedman, furiously scribbling notes um, to make sure that episode one of this uh, new series that we've launched goes smoothly. You all right. right, mate? Yeah, I'm really what good. What did you I'm... just write down? I, I, I wrote Numbers. down 52 seconds. Brilliant. Okay, good. So, yeah, that's uh, that's exciting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really exciting. Yeah. I'm really glad I asked. Look behind the um, curtain there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the first one that you've picked is by a massive band. Very It much is a so. classic album of sorts. Uh, yeah. It is a controversial record, most certainly. Yes. It is a slightly unexpected pick as well, I uh, would it's say. It's not the one that people would normally go to, nope. Yep. So let's kick this whole shebang off. Uh, Tell everyone what your first pick is, Rimfry.
1: My first pick is the second part of 1991's double opus Use Your Illusion 2 by Guns N' Roses. Guns
0: N' Roses. Yes, Guns N' Fucking Roses, I <laughs> believe is the full name. Roses. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um released alongside its uh Yellow and um, red, red counterpart brother. Yeah. Um, th- this was released on September the seventeenth, nineteen ninety-one. So we're going back to wow, the the Hallisian days of God, the, it's al- the early nineties.
1: Almost thirty years old as mm. we record this. It's twenty-nine years old as we record this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, fucking hell, um,
0: crazy, crazy and, times. Guns um, and Roses has done something which you know. I mean, obviously, everyone at this point listening, even if you are the mildest fan of rock music in any way you will probably be fairly aware of what happened to Guns N' Roses from uh, them releasing Appetite for Destruction and then becoming the biggest stroke the most dangerous band in the world the the run of like four years that they had leading up to this record is the sort of thing that just doesn't happen to bands nah, nah. and really didn't really happen to bands back then to be that big on your debut record absolutely i mean ju- just the
1: fact that they were able to go in and for album number two and three i'm not including gnr lies because that's technically an ep um just for them to be a double album to uh for a label to allow a band to release two and a half hours worth of music for their second and third album mm. I don't think that's ever happened before. Mm. Uh, I mean even Smashing Pumpkins' Melancholy was their third record, mm-hmm. that double album. So and you know, it was the first time ever that two albums had been released on the same day by a band that were sort of single uh records rather than a, a double set. Yes. If
0: that's if that's Yeah. That's an, I, I'm 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 sure that has happened before. I think Kiss might have done it with their solo records, which were under the Kiss banner. Or, or I think the Melvins did a similar thing once as well, but mm. they're definitely not as high profile as Use Your Illusion. But I can't think of another band that have done that.
1: My research indicates that it was the first time that it okay. happened. I mean, I, I remember that Kiss, the solo records of Kiss, they all came out on the same day, but is yeah, that the same band? Because uh, yeah, it's solo records by, you know. Mm.
0: Melvins I don't know about, actually. I think the Melvins did a similar sort of thing to Kiss, actually. Okay,
1: okay, 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 okay. okay um but um yeah that definitely
0: would have been after 1991 though
1: yes yes Mm. it was kind of um it's a fascinating time because it was sort of um it was a point in the music industry of monumental excess and it was kind of a point where which it was the the apex of this monumental excess, which will probably never be repeated again. Mm. Um, and uh, it's a, hence it's a fascinating thing to discuss and talk
0: about. I mean, we will definitely go further in on this later, but I'm glad you've kind of started at that point because obviously, as the um, as the Nirvana one out of the Guns and Roses and Nirvana sort of split that happened. I mean, people talk about, you know, Maiden versus Metallica a bit. I think mm. Guns N' Roses versus Nirvana was very much a thing. I'm going to uh, be talking uh, right about that time. a lot. I'm sure you will. Yeah, yeah. I think um, this might have played into Nirvana's hands quite a bit is what I think. Mm. Um, also, mm. just before we kick off into why you picked it and all this other stuff. Oh, bonjour. That's bonjour. bonjour. Up. Um, this, have you got any any idea why this one got to number one? Because this debuted at number one in both the US and the UK album charts um i think mm. it's quite simple
1: the single they released was you could be mine which was on use your illusion 2. Mm. um and that was the first single they released There many singles were released across yeah. these um records but um it was you could be mine quite a sensible choice because it's quite appetite for destruction yeah you could see it being on that record bonjour literally just knocked my microphone away from my mouth she's ignored me <laughs> if, 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 the, the, all day she's uh, not a fan of guns N' Roses. she prefers the ballads uh, no bon no
0: she is she prefers extreme metal okay <laughs>
1: um uh yes so uh, and obviously you could be mine had the tie-in with terminator 2 yeah, yeah, uh, you know that film was fucking massive mm-hmm. arnold schwarzenegger approved bloody bloody blah mm-hmm. um I, th- I think the reason is simply down to that.
0: Really, um, we'll probably talk about that video a little bit later. But um, uh-huh. I, I, when people say, "Oh, you know, you just need," uh, that's a sort of surefire way of getting a big song. Last Action Hero. ACDC, did a video with Arnold Schwarzenegger for the the lead song in in um, in Last Action Hero. No one remembers that, do they? What, what, I, I don't. What, what, you what was the it? video? I, do you know what? I can't remember what the song was called, but it's got Arnie dressed up as Angus Young doing the angus young duck walk down the acd with on stage with ACDs. i don't think i've ever seen them. right okay well i mean big gun big 1993 gun. big gun yeah um I, featuring arnold never schwarzenegger heard it.
1: never heard it mm. i'll go back to that
0: yeah so good anyway there you go just to go to show that, that oh, i just want to make a point that just putting arnold schwarzenegger in your video isn't necessarily <laughs> enough uh to give you an all-time classic hit yeah, yeah um yeah, yeah. so anyway Renfrey, this is your pick mm. Um, before we get into all the nuts and bolts of it, I, I suppose, quite simply, what has made you choose this record? Um,
1: there are two major reasons. A, the fascinating point in the music industry, which I've just sort of outlined, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that it's never been repeated and probably never will be. Um, but also, this album is quite possibly, single-handedly, the most important record to me in my entire life. Wow. Um,
0: more than Bat Out of Hell, 2?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good. It's good that you mentioned that. So, quite recently, I say quite recently, we don't know exactly when this is going out, but not too long ago, we did a trade off on uh, Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell, two, where I, I say admitted, I mean proudly stated, I think is actually more accurate, that uh, Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell, two, was the first CD I ever purchased. Yeah. Um, and um, I bought that and Bon Jovi's Crossroads, the best of, um, and. S- put them on every single day and sang every single word really loud and bolshily uh, to the point where my brother was driven absolutely crazy by hearing always <laughs> sung really badly over and over and over again. So he gave me a C90 cassette tape um, and said, stop listening to that rubbish and listen to this and it was use your illusion too right um and i was sort of scared of it at first because it was like a meaner grosser version of meat certainly meat like well, yeah. definitely bon jovi as well um and there was like loads of swearing on it um and i was like oh my god i really shouldn't be listening to this but that whole sort of so i would have been around 10 ish I think. Um, but that was also the appeal of it as well. Because, you know, Axl Rose is saying, you know, telling journalists to suck his dick and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, wow. It's um, amazing what
0: scares you when you're a kid with music, it's isn't, it? Like, bonkers, it, it's, isn't it? It's it? It's funny because I can really, really distinctly remember listening to either, I can't remember what song it was, it was either usually Illusion 1 or 2, right? Yeah. In my friend's house, uh, he had a tape deck and he had it on tape. Right. he had one or two i can't remember what it was but i remember it just being guns and roses were on right and people were talking about guns and roses and this would have been when i mean i must have been 12 mm-hmm. um and at that time i liked kind of dance music and pop music and you know i i quite like the you know i like i like stuff i talk about a lot now like depeche mode and the cure and Duran Duran and stuff and um, U2, and yeah you too like you too okay. and stuff yeah um and so which is all you know, a bit more British, isn't it? It's a bit more British and a little bit more, Definitely. you know, a bit more serious. Especially like it's back the comparison with you two, like you two very earnest mm. and serious, mm. and um, uh, and Guns N' Roses are just animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember hearing whatever use Your illusion it was, and just feeling like this, thinking it was so noisy and so horrible and so aggressive and and just nasty. And whereas you two felt like you know clever. Um, intelligent uh, people who cared about the world and had a message and had something to say. I thought Guns N' Roses were just these horrible street rat skanks from America who were, you know, bullshit and arrogant. I it just, it turned me off so much. I mean, I felt that about a lot of rock music from that time. And yeah. From the artwork to the, you know, the, the, the sound and the look and the clothes they wore and stuff. I just found so much of it just so desperately unappealing to me
1: i think a lot of people felt that way about them not not unappealing necessarily but certainly that they were sort of these disgusting vagabonds mm. um and it was an image they'd cultivated around the appetite time but it was quite clear that um axel rose in particular i don't think the other members of the band were too bothered about it but axel rose didn't really want to have that yeah um uh viewpoint um he didn't want to give out that sort of message hence the um amount of ballads and epic songs on here. The Elton John influence Mm -hmm. on this record is unbelievable, absolutely huge. And it all comes from Axl Rose. Um, But uh, I think that's stuff that we will get into later. Mm. I really want to properly start this by actually just giving an overview of um, what the nineties was like in the music industry, because I think that context is quite important for this record. (laughs) And to do that, I'm actually going to <laughs> you might roll your eyes at this because you might be like, God, that's going to take ages. It won't take that long. <laughs> I'm going to go through each decade of popular music and uh, state the bands or artists that have sold, uh, attained diamond status. Diamond status is a sales of over 10 million copies mm-hmm. of an album decade by decade. So. In the 1960s, it's actually fairly easy. I was wondering if you wanted to guess the 60s. Who, which two bands, there were only two, do you think Bands sold?
0: or solo artists? Uh, bands. Okay, um, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones? Ooh,
1: um, one's right. You've got the Beatles, but uh, it's Zeppelin. actually Beatles and Led Zeppelin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just two bands in the 1960s sold uh, over 10 million records. In the 70s, you've got the Eagles, Pink Floyd, Fleetwood Mac, Boston, Elton John, Billy Joel, Carol King, Stevie Wonder and Meatloaf.
0: I didn't Fairly. get to guess any of them,
1: did I? That was it, well, I, didn't, I, I, I could ask you to guess these, but it, it does get a lot harder as it okay. goes on. 1980s, we've got Michael Jackson, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, so that's where they first appear with Appetite Destruction, mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen, Prince, Whitney Houston, Madonna, ZZ Top, U2, Van Halen, Def Leppard, Bon Jovi, George Michael, Lionel Richie, and Phil Collins.
0: Well done, Phil Collins.
1: <laughs> Surprisingly, not Genesis, though. I was a little surprised by that. 90s is where um, a shift occurs and this is the important th- distinction that i want to make i think up to this point um, bar the odd exception y- you can understand all of those artists certainly in terms of quality having sold those amount of records
0: garth brooks is in here, isn't it? of course it is <laughs> uh well let's
1: start with garth brooks garth brooks shania twain Hootie and the blowfish alanis oh, morissette santana metallica britney spears backstreet boys pearl jam dixie chicks matchbox 20 boys to ben kenny g jewel creed tlc celine dion kid rock nsync notorious b.i.g mariah carey mc hammer nirvana no doubt and green day all achieved 10 million sales of one of their albums in the 90s Fucking hell. which is which just goes to show how massive the music industry had become mm. and what a ridiculous uh behemoth it had become i wonder if i said that because you're playing behemoth as a game and um it, uh, and it was just absurd And obviously I think You know There are some bands in there That we love Pearl Jam Are my favourite band ever Metallica Alanis Morissette Do not say Wicked. that Ironically at all nope. See what I did there Nirvana Absolutely But you know Shania Twain. I like
0: Notorious B.I.G. a lot as well.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. But Shania Twain, you know, compared to say the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, it's a bit like, oh god, the quality's really gone down here. Jewel, yeah, Jewel, fucking hell, Matchbox fucking twenty, Creed, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's some, it's you know, quite embarrassing. But um, I think that just goes to show when things get really, really massively popular. The uh, quality sometimes massively dips, mm. which is shown even more so in the 2000s, uh, where we have Lincoln Park, Nora Jones, Outkast, Eminem, Evanescence, Amy Winehouse, Avril Lavigne, Lady Gaga, Usher, Coldplay, Jack Johnson, Blink 182, Shakira, Pink, Nelly Furtado, Kelly Clarkson, Alicia Keys, Dido, 50 Cent, Beyonce, James Blunt, Nickelback, Christina oh, Aguilera, God. Justin Timberlake, Maroon 5 and Susan Boyle. Oh
0: my God, what <laughs> absolutely.
1: Isn't that tragic? Yeah, That is really tragic. And that kind of shows like how the music industry's changed as it's become bigger and more popular. Mm. Um, do you want to hear how many t- 10 million, how many artists have sold 10 million in the tens? Can't be many, can it? Well, strap yourself in. Uh, Taylor Swift, Adele.
0: Yeah, fine. Yeah. And that's it. And that's... if you'd have asked me to guess, mm. I would have said taylor swift i probably would have forgotten about adele but it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense and adele has the best-selling said...
1: record of um the last 20 years yeah, i believe 32 yeah, yeah, yeah. million copies of 21
0: i, I might it's... i might have said bieber as well and that yeah i would probably struggle to think yeah. of anyone else.
1: no bieber no bieber bieber's don't buy his records apparently yeah. uh, or don't buy them in the um in the 10 million mark but you know and that just shows like the like the effects of piracy and so on and so forth mm-hmm. obviously that started in the 2000s but I think um people were very kind of weary of piracy at first and like oh no I'll get a virus on my yeah. computer so I think it took a little while for that to set in but in the 2010s you can see it you know it's gone back to the 60s again in terms yeah. of that now whether that's a good thing or a bad thing I you know bloody blah but um but the 90s was certainly the beginning of what I would call like the blockbuster
0: albums yeah the boom period. Yeah, I did read something uh, once. Uh, I'm having to sort of paraphrase this a little bit because I've got to remember exactly what it was. But I was, I was told that the highest ever amount of money from CD sales ever accumulated was in 2002. That sounds right to me. It yeah. would be one or two. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. in the very early 2000s, but it, it you know went up an insane amount yeah
1: yeah well i think um i mean to clarify what i just said i think um i think there were blockbuster albums in the 80s um but it was in the 90s where it really boomed as you said and it it just went fucking crazy i think it is really um i really want to give an idea of the kind of records that were being released at the tail end of 1991 because um it's pretty fucking amazing mm-hmm. um when you look back at it it's a hell of a year um 13th of august you've got metallica's black album yep 27th of august you've got pearl jams 10 mm-hmm. um I, I put these two in here not for quality but for sales um 10th of september garth brooks's rope in the wind which i've never heard i have to say 17th of september mariah carey's emotions mm-hmm. uh, which came out on the same day as guns and roses Usual illusion one and two As did Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears. Yep. Not a bad day. Even better, the week after, 24th of September. Can you imagine if you'd gone to a record store and bought these three records? Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, Mm -hmm. Nirvana's Nevermind, and Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger.
0: Can I also put in Scream of Delica by Primal Scream, which was also released that day? Fair enough.
1: Yes, very good. Very good. Um, 21st of October. I mean, might be laughable now, but it certainly sold a lot of records at the time. MC Hammer's Too Legit to Quit.
0: Yeah. The biggest rapper in the world at the time, yes.
1: Yeah. I mean it's laughable now, but oh. but he certainly was at that time. Eighteenth of November, uh, your boys U twos, uh with Acting Baby. Yep. And a very important one's thrown there, I think. Twenty sixth of November, Michael Jackson's Dangerous mm-hmm. came out as well. I mean that is over those what is it? That's a three-month period, yeah, four month period. That's a lot of massive massive i mean like we were talking about uh, oh wasn't it a massive year in metal last year because corn tool Rammstein, and Ramstein, slipknot. slipknot released f- you know four bands four massive massive bands released records in one year and we were like god wasn't it a huge year i mean compared to the early 90s no it was no that's nothing yeah. like that is just it, it it was insane and these records were just selling Millions, presume, and millions and millions um, millions
0: out of time by rem would have come out either just before that or you know i might
1: have missed that actually but but yeah out of time certainly would have sold shit loads as well because
0: mm. i think automatic for people was 92 wasn't it it was it was march the 8th 1991 oh fair enough out fair of enough time came out yeah
1: fair play okay um so once sales for 1991's music and video had been tallied it was estimated that they amounted to $9 billion. Uh, That is $1.2 billion more than in 1990. So that is quite a massive growth, isn't it? And I think if you look at the statistics more carefully, it is those blockbuster albums, plus a couple of others, REMs out of time, I think would Mm -hmm. also contribute to that, um, that, were largely responsible for this ridiculous increase. Yeah. I mean, 1.2 billion, like a billion's a lot. It's a million, yeah. <laughs> it's a million, millions. Yeah, It's, it's such an insane number. Mm. And Use Your Illusion was released smack bang in the middle of that sort of blockbuster season, if you will, period, that um, summer and autumn of 91. Um, and amongst those blockbusters, it kind of superseded all of them in terms of scope and vision, not quite in sales, but certainly in scope and vision. It was a in a period of excess where the music industry was basically using dollar bills to wipe its ass most of the time. Guns and Roses were the most extravagant band making the most extravagant statement. Um, and the last of its kind, really, before it became extraordinarily unfashionable to make extravagant statements.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um,
1: and the reason for that is... Uh, largely credited with uh, Nirvana and Nevermind. Now, it's really tempting to sort of revise history and say and claim that because Nevermind came out literally one week after Use Your Illusion, which is really telling when you look back at it now. um, It's tempting to say, you know, that it it sort of happened really, really quickly. The reality is, is Nevermind was a bit of a slow burn. It it,
0: it took a... Was it a year before it managed to knock Michael Jackson off the charts? Do you
1: know was... what? In my memory, it was a year, but it wasn't um, that long. It, it was only four months or so. Right. Um, it knocked Michael Jackson's Dangerous off the top of the charts on January the 11th, 1992. Mm. But for a fair few months, at least, the field was absolutely still wide open for Guns N' Roses. And this kind of feeling of excess not being cool anymore had definitely not set in having said all of that guns and roses were so big they were too big to fail anyway so you know the train was rolling, the rock was rolling down the hill i mean nothing was going to stop it anyway and nirvana certainly didn't stop that but there was um certainly in the press a there was that divide a as ba- you mentioned a divide a backlash, a yeah. backlash
0: um yeah it's it's really easy to look back at it and go that happened that happened they didn't like each other they were the sort of architects of guns and rose's downfall I think you can't really honestly if you know, what happened, and you, you know, you, you, you can't really pin it on Nirvana. I think the shift. Of, no, that's, I think the yeah. shift. I think this sh- I think you can pin Nirvana on the shift of what people wanted. Mm. I think you can. Sh- you can definitely go. Well, that was Nirvana. Yeah. You know the idea of what rock music was and what it came to stand for. That was you can pin that on Nirvana, but Guns and Roses, as I'm sure we will talk about throughout this. Are kind of their own worst enemies in 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 this scenario i think you know um well axel Mm. uh, Mm. (laughs) is the problem here and i mean so well he was certainly the one who was pushing the band to go for those excesses mm. Uh, undoubtedly I think. and like you say i mean i don't think um i think as much as nirvana moved the goalpost completely you're right guns and roses were already past the finishing post at this point yeah yeah pretty much and
1: nothing was going to stop them as i say um user illusion's quite an unusual double set in the sense that um its strengths in my opinion its strengths lie in its successes but paradoxically its failures lie in its successes as well Mm -hmm. um I've already mentioned that both albums together, the, the exact running time is two hours, 32 minutes and 18 seconds, which is a hell of a lot of music. It's a lot of music, that.
0: Uh, yeah, 30 songs. Yeah. Um, going to be difficult to make that much music and have no dips whatsoever no
1: absolutely and i think um well you certainly won't think there aren't uh, any dips i'm far more forgiving to these records than the majority of people but i mean my world is on this album uh, yeah. <laughs> i can't say that there aren't any dips yeah, on well, it yeah we'll talk about that yeah, later, we'll talk about that later. Sure. um but For me, the album generally is most successful in its really long epics. Um, Coma, Mm. uh, Estranged, Mm. uh, Locomotive, which is massively underrated and I will go into later. Um, And of course, November Rain. Mm. Uh, Civil War, I think, is just about worthy of epic status as well. It's about seven and a half minutes. Those songs are so ambitious and so well-created and so well-crafted for years and years and years if people ask me what's your favorite song of all time i'd just say estranged Mm. um i absolutely adore that song the manner in which um the manner in which axel and slash are working together and have that sort of uh twosome dynamic that so many brilliant brilliant bands had led zeppelin the rolling stones um aerosmith Mm. uh you can hear it so wonderfully with estranged with axel's Piano and Slash's guitar, and the manner in which they work together and against each other, just to form something really genuinely unique. Mm. It's like, yeah, it is like mixing. I don't know, Rolling Stones with Elton John. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Like, it's do you worry, if I chuck my yeah, please do, please
0: in, do in, in a minute? Because obviously, like, this is your pick completely. Oh. I mean, I, 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 I like Guns and Roses. I mean, I think I've gone on record as saying how great uh, probably until Ramstein rocked up at Milton Keynes it was the best stadium show that I'd ever seen in my life yes I would agree and Um, But saying that, I I don't listen to Guns N' Roses that much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Use Your Illusion is brilliant. If slightly overplayed, I think I have almost kind of... I wouldn't have reached the end of my tether with it, but it's certainly not an album that I feel like I need to listen to that much, unlike something like Nevermind or 10, which I can happily listen to over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and never get bored with. Um, uh, I always felt like I preferred Use Your Illusion 1. Mm. And I've... That is from a... Uh, kind of a, histo- a retrospective historical thought because I haven't listened to these records for a very, very long time. So going back to them, um, I think I prefer the strong points. For me, the strong points on Use Your Illusion are higher than the strong points of Use Your Illusion 2. My favourite songs are all on Use Your Illusion 1, I would say. But saying that, I think Use Your Illusion 2 is much more consistent. Much, much more yes, consistent. Yes, I agree. Um, And... Also, the thing that really stood out for me, having not listened to it for such a long time, and from really being somebody who sits quite firmly in that Nirvana, like you know, cut all the fat out. You're meant to be, you know, Guns N' Roses. You're meant to be a rock and roll band. This, you know, I, I never wanted the bloated excess, the fucking grand piano, the the white leather jacket, the horns, all, all the that stu- yeah. backing singers, all that stuff. Never felt like. It was the sort of thing that turned me off yeah. from just music and just any music that kind of goes. That I, I used to look at Guns and Roses like when I got when I sort of got into rock music and then Guns and Roses were around and I could properly listen to them. I would I loved Appetite for Destruction, but I always listened to these records and was like, "There's too much tossing around. There's too much. It, it's bloated. Like you know, especially getting into it in a time where new metal and pop punk and you know the the sort of the end of grunge was happening and all those things are much more rudimentary if you like Mm -hmm. yeah um and then getting into hardcore as well i was always like nah you know stuff like estranged will never be um the sort of thing that i like listening back to particularly lose your illusion 2 now what struck me is how Little, I mean, something like Yesterday's. I think Yesterday's is a really good song, it's a wonderful song. It's a great song, yeah. like, really, really good. But it did strike me as being like, I found myself going, I'm not as interested in this. It's just a good rock song. I'm not as interested in this as I am, you know, uh, with Estranged or Civil War. Mm. I found those songs to be much more engaging, and it's pretty much the first time in my life where I think I can sit here and go, Yeah, actually. The strength of "Use Your Illusion" one and two, I think, is in the excess and the more um, bloated stuff. Absolutely, like I genu- i do think that now. I think the other songs come across kind of, you know, medi—not I think mediocre is harsh because I think they're really good songs, but they don't excite me and like, <laughs> you know, they don't excite me in the same way as you know, "It's So Easy" does
1: there are quite a few um what i am going to term meat and potatoes hard rock songs Mm. um on both albums i I would actually say particularly use your illusion one i mean i mean the first half of use your illusion one is full of fairly standard um i'm thinking of songs like back off bitch bad obsession uh Maybe Perfect Crime, although Perfect Crime's fucking banging. <laughs> uh, Dust and Bones, um, yeah. that are fairly straight-ahead Rolling Stones-esque pastiches. Now, to be honest, I re- I, I do still really love those songs. Um, the a, a, a large part of the reason uh, and and a large part of those songs being uh, written was down to Izzy Stradlin, yeah. uh, who is definitely someone who I will talk about later because i think izzy stradlin is probably the most underappreciated member of guns and roses by a country mile i would say i think he's a lot more important to that band than a lot of people realize um but um there was a lot of those sorts of things i mean on the other hand though the bloated excesses of it you know i've already mentioned my world my world is a Fascinating song. It's rubbish, but it is fascinating. Mm. It's the last track on Use Your Illusion 2. It's about a minute and 24 seconds. A minute and 24 seconds long. Um, you may know this already. Did you know that the rest of the band it was Axel Rose's thing project exclusively? The rest of the band didn't even know it was it existed until they got their copies of Use Your Illusion 2. And they're like, what's this? (laughs) what's this my world thing? And then it comes on. It, uh, pff, it, uh, Axel had clearly been listening to Nine Inch Nails and yeah. clearly wanted to do his version of Nine Inch Nails. Um, I think Axel Rose is a phenomenal talent and is phenomenally talented at many, many things. Electronic industrial not, stuff is not one of them. And
0: Particularly the f- 19 years down the line.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that it does sound like it was recorded on Casio keyboards, mm. it's an amazing moment. Um, uh, the, uh, noth- Very little about this album sounds cheap, I would say There's a few things which sound a little bit dated to, to the 90s But I don't think much of it sounds cheap My world sounds really cheap It's a really unusual um, failure on um, or, or an unusual moment where it just sounds... It, it's so odd And it comes in straight after Don't Cry as well yeah. The alternate lyric version It is... The weirdest juxtaposition. It's fucking weird. Uh, he managed. I mean, it was something that he obviously wanted to keep going with because I think there are moments of that electronic stuff on Chinese
0: democracy. There definitely are, and they're and, 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 and they're the, much more successful. As yeah, well. and and um, if you remember, before Chinese democracy came out, uh, and we were all fucking wondering when it ever was going to come out. Every time something got leaked or. Uh, you know, they played a song um, live that no one knew, mm-hmm. or people the the Nine Inch Nails comparisons yeah. were massive all the time. I kept remember, I remember people just going like, "Oh, it's kind of industrial, like you yeah. know, Nine Inch Nails or Ramstein or something yeah. like that." And I, I was like, oh, "That sounds like it will be." Horrendous. <laughs> uh, there was a
1: reason why Axel got Robin Finkin, who used yeah. to play in Nine Inch Nails. Mm. Um there's actually um I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Um, there is a uh, song that Axel worked on for ages which didn't end up coming out on Chinese Democracy but I did see it live once actually called Silkworms yes, which is a very interesting there. industrial mm-hmm. I don't think it's entirely successful and I think it's a good thing that it's not on Chinese Democracy but it's very interesting where he was go- wanting to go in that direction and it's definitely more successful than My World but then I don't know, A Shit in a Box is probably more successful than My World um, <laughs> You could take any spine shank song
0: and whack it <laughs> on the end of this record and it would probably Sound better,
1: to be fair um i was furiously scrabbling around my notes um about 10 minutes ago because you were talking about um how you kind of preferred the uh when guns N' roses were a rock and roll band mm-hmm. and it reminded me of a um a, a, a i think it was kim neely um put this to axel rose in rolling stone so i just thought i would get axel's response to that um Uh, accusation, I suppose. So Kim says, I've talked to people who liked the band better when it was stripped down. You've added the horn section and the backup singers and a second keyboard player. The shows are becoming a lot more professional and polished to which Axel says, but I don't think it's losing any of its energy. There's a lot more energy now. I think that before people were seeing the potential. And Kim says, there are purists who prefer the raw vibe that bands like the sex pistols had and that guns and roses had in the early days. To which Axel says, yeah, well, there are people who like a girl that has the same haircut she had 10 years ago too. I understand that. I understand that a lot, but it's like we're evolving and it's us. I read a quote where David Bowie was saying that Pink Floyd was Sid Barrett to him. I'm like, yeah, but to deny anything that Pink Floyd's done after that, certain elements of our music and our performance and our attitude are still there, but we're not the same people we were then. Maybe it would have been best for the purists if we died or broken up. Then they'd get to keep it the way they liked it.
0: Mm. i think it's a fair i think it's a yeah. fair comment i mean he seems, seems oddly calm as well when, it, well maybe
1: it's just the way you're reading it but yeah uh, um actually uh kim does mention in that interview that uh he was oddly calm throughout and 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 um he was asked a lot of questions which were very cut he was asked directly why do you come on stage late and all this kind of thing it's a really interesting interview mm. um and he was just very like sometimes if you could get him Apparently, supposedly, he obviously he's known for like his tirades and his temper and like yeah. being very, very short with journalists. But there were times usually around 5 a.m. in a hotel room um, where you could get him and he'd be very relaxed and would be very willing to open up and talk about. I mean, he talks about um, the child abuse he went through when he was younger. There's quite a famous interview because yeah. I believe it's the first time he opened up about that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Really, I mean, a lot of the Rolling Stone stuff um, that uh, that they did with Guns N' Roses is is absolutely fascinating. They were released at midnight on September the seventeenth, nineteen ninety-one. Certainly, some of the most anticipated albums in rock history. Uh, The label Geffen uh, initially uh shipped 7.3 million copies and they exuberantly claim that the am- album could potentially equal sales of michael jackson's thriller which is the biggest selling record of all time it is yep um this despite the fact that major stores in america such as kmart and walmart uh refused to stock the album due to the profanity present um spoiler alert Illusion never sold as many copies as Thriller. um <laughs>
0: yeah and nothing ever will uh
1: but it but it didn't do too badly so both of the albums ultimately underperformed expectations domestically but they were still very commercially successful i would say usually illusion one debuted below usually illusion two mainly due to the fact that the second album contained the main lead single mm-hmm. and You it could be mine um to date both copies of usually illusion one and two have reportedly sold around 15 million copies which is not bad. That's fifteen million in total, not each, to yeah. be clear. Use Illusion One and Two. This this is stunning, though. Use Illusion One and Two sold five hundred thousand copies within two hours of going on sale. It's
0: fucking insane, that,
1: isn't it? I mean, it's even more insane when you consider that those half a million copies were sold between midnight and two a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Um, I mean that used
0: to be a thing didn't it kind of people queuing up to get things to get albums at, at you know now everything at midnight it's on Spotify it's just on Spotify yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: um well yeah certainly um certainly well again as i say it's the the era of the blockbuster album you know mm-hmm. um there are photos of uh people queuing down the street outside tower records in yeah. hollywood you know um there was a really interesting i I'm, I'm paraphrasing this because i didn't write it down but there's a really interesting um interview with slash where he was on his way to oh god somewhere in africa just for a bit of a holiday the day that um Use Your illusion came out because um he just wanted a break as you can and as you can imagine and um he on the way to the airport he stopped off at tower records just to see people buying the record and he watched from behind this two-way mirror, um, behind security, like out the back of Tower Records, all these people buying his record. And that was the exact same spot that he was caught uh, stealing tapes from Tower Records, the exact same two-way mirror, because he didn't realise it was a two-way mirror. He was caught stealing tapes um, 10 years previous. And it's just like, wow, how, it's crazy how things change so much in 10 years. And it really did change. Very, very quickly for Guns N' Roses. I mean, I remember reading somewhere that the week before Guns N' Roses played, I think it was Donington, but somewhere in the UK, um, Appetite sold 7,000 copies. The week after it sold 75,000 copies. You know, the jump was just Well, yeah, I mean, you go back
0: to their performance, They're obviously very famous and quite tragic performance at Donington yeah. in 1988, yeah. they were second from bottom on the bill? Second, yeah. third bottom yeah. on the bill? Below... Well, Megadeth, yeah,
1: which is why I think it was that performance. It, it was a UK performance, mm. certainly, and and it was literally seven thousand to seventy five thousand in a week.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. I, you know, that's you're looking at. You're looking at obviously a four year period between those two records coming out, mm. and for them to be what well, we said, you know, what happened with the Appetite for Destruction was just insane. and, yeah. and not only, not only did that, will that never probably never happen again it didn't really like I said at the start it didn't really happen back then not on a debut record to be this kind of slow burning not even really I mean I I, there's a there's a book that I read with uh, a guy it was it's called uh, I forgot what the book's called now but it's just some random dude wrote a book about his him being into metal as a young young boy from kind of 1980 and how he bought uh whatever Aerosmith album was it Pump that came out the day same day as Guns N' Roses, and a few people said, Oh, you know, while they, he was buying the Aerosmith album, like, you should buy this new band, they're really good. Same day as Appetite, yeah, same day as Appetite. Um, it sounds like it could be Pump, yeah, yeah, I think it is Pump, and um, yeah, and and he said, You know, that you go you go home and put this Aerosmith album on, and was like, Yes, this is good, and then put Appetite for Destruction on, and just never put Pump back in the yeah, CD player or yeah, the yeah. on this vinyl turntable ever again, yeah, and yeah. it was just that that was probably what happened for so many people in, in when I'm sort of told 20 friends like, Oh my God, you have to hear this and all 20 of them, you know, one of the, definitely one of the, the craziest stories that's ever happened. And then I, that then gives you carte blanche to, to be as excessive and as, as you like. demanding as you, you, you could ever be. Yeah. And apparently Axl Rose has always been that uncompromising and demanding and excessive and just, single-minded you know the 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 idea that i mean i think people have said it before where they're like well actually they They became so big and an Axle got too big for his boots i think he was just like that
1: well something that would support that theory um there are a number of songs on the use your illusion albums which are actually effectively leftovers from appetite um one fact which is fascinating and a lot of people would not realize at all don't cry is the first song that guns ever wrote Is it? Yeah. Don't fucking cry. And uh, it was not, could have been on Appetite, but wasn't because can you imagine Don't Cry coming between my Michelle and Paradise City? It just wouldn't have worked um, at all. Um, Another thing that a lot of people don't know is um, November Rain. Um, There were versions of November Rain dating back to 1986. In fact, there's a version of November Rain, which I have heard, which is 18 minutes long, uh, which is just guitar- and piano, I believe it was recorded in 1988. Um, but you know, in terms of that huge excess thing, and, and and again, at one point, November Rain looked like it might be on appetite. Mm. Um, Axel, basically, I mean, Axel saw November Rain and his, as his baby, and he even th- threatened that he would quit the music business if it wasn't uh, recorded in the manner that he wanted, and he was very perfectionist with that um certainly the synth side of things and the strings and all that kind of thing which unfortunately now sound a little bit dated but Mm. um you know at the time it probably sounded incredible um but yeah i mean yeah so those those excesses even though there isn't all that much um uh evidence of those excesses on appetite musically Mm. at least obviously there's excesses in other areas um it was definitely there, yeah. it was definitely there. it's just as you say the success of appetite gave Axel carte blanche to really push for those things, mm-hmm. and it got to the point where you know Axel knew that he was a integral part of guns, and without him, it wouldn't work, which is fair to say of a lot of well, singers, I think yeah um. And so started making all sorts of demands where he effectively threatened to leave unless the bands gave him over certain rights. So there's quite the infamous, there's Mm. an infamous incident where they um, sacked their manager, Alan Niven, who did a lot for them, it has to be said, just before Use Your Illusion came out. And then one of the first things Axel did, I believe, uh, was they were backstage at a show somewhere in Europe, I think. And um, he said, "I'm not going to go on stage unless you sign this contract." And the contract effectively gave all of the rights to the name Guns N' Roses over to Axel. And um, the band just felt like they were in this position where they had to sign it; otherwise, they would a, a riot might occur. And yeah. riots had occurred several times at Guns yes. N' Roses shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and they they, in order to prevent this riot from occurring, they signed it. Um, but obviously,
0: in the future, that led to
1: 14 year wait for chinese democracy and
0: all the stuff that it lets all you know, the honestly. stuff um i've got a story about Ooh. Axel rose i'm not sure if i should tell it but i'll tell you what i'll do is i will tell it <laughs> yeah tell it and then if I, i'll i'll make a judgment on whether i should cut it or not okay i'll tell you what i won't do is tell you who told me because that okay. would be dropping them right in the shit but somebody i know within the music industry um spoke to a dude who managed Guns and who managed Guns N' Roses pre-the reformation of, you know, Axel Slash and Duff. Um going back probably about 10 years or so, was actually drafted in to manage Guns N' Roses. And um he met Axel Rose and uh, Axel Rose said to him, you know, he was like, Well, you know, what do you want to do? Like, well, how are we gonna play this? And blah blah And Axel Rose said to him, this is obviously second over, I'm not sure if I can't tell you this is 100 percent definitely true. He said, just conjecture at yes, this it's point yes conjecture but yeah. this is the rumor this is, this is it's such an Axel Rose rumor yeah. I and mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it yeah. was true but he said um Axel Rose said to this manager he said you can do whatever you want i have a complete trust in you and he said i have one rule and that is don't ever speak to me about a reformation with those other guys don't ever bring it up no matter how much people offer you no matter what gets put on the table i don't want to know Don't even tell me about it, right? So this guy's like, all right, cool, yeah, fine. And then apparently Pepsi came to this guy and said, look, we're going to do this thing. We want to do this thing, with this massive promotional campaign, uh, which will mean Guns N' Roses doing, the original Guns N' Roses doing um, a show in each continent. So in Africa, Asia, Australasia, Europe, and America, they're going to do... One show for Pepsi, not Antarctica. No, not Antarctica. Shame. Um, just one show. Mm-hmm. We want them to do five shows. We'll pay each member, um, like one hundred and fifty million pounds <laughs> or something ridiculous. That's definitely pulled out your. Ass yeah, yeah, yeah. I pulled. <laughs> I, I pulled out. My, but it was an. It was like an insane. Yeah, an absolutely. Insane like yeah. H- millions and millions and yeah. millions. Like and and they said, you know, if you agree to it it will be the most anyone has ever been paid for a concert ever. Yep, I can believe that. Right. So this guy was like, right. And he was like, well, I'm not supposed to tell him about anything to do with, and he's like, but this, like no one's ever been offered a deal like this, ever, ever. And so he called him up and said, look, I know the the rule is, I don't talk to you about the reunion. He said, but this has come to me. He said, it will make you, you know, richer than anyone yeah. could ever ever been for doing yeah. concerts ever it's five dates mm. a- across like a week or so he's like no one's ever been paid up with this amount of money for a gig ever he said i know the rule but i wouldn't be doing my job as a manager i don't think if i didn't at least give you the it. opportunity mm. to to turn it down or whatever and Axel rose said okay um you know i need to think about this he said i'll tell you what um i'll call you in exactly 24 hours and so this guy's like all right okay <laughs> 24 hours. The phone rings. Axel Rose. He picks up the phone. He's like, "Hello." And Axel Rose, went, "Yeah, you knew the rules. You're fired." And hangs up. I can, I, I can,
1: but I can believe that. I mean, obviously, we don't know, but yeah, that sounds plausible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: cool. But what is interesting about this uh, record? You know, talking about the excesses, as we were, I- I'm looking at the the additional musicians now. If you go on the additional musicians for. Chinese democracy, famously, ridiculous, it yeah. is like, you know, the the, the the production of a, you know, a Hollywood blockbuster, like yeah. that many people. It's, playing it's, on the well, in the CD booklet, I don't think it's been released
1: on vinyl, but in the CD booklet, it's in tiny, it's one whole page, tiny, tiny, tiny writing, because there's ridiculous.
0: like seven or eight guitarists on some songs. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Use um, Your Illusion is just the six members of the band. So Axel slash Izzy Duff Matt Sorum on drums, Dizzy Reed on Use Your Illusion Two, Steve Adler on drums and Civil War. Mm-hmm. Probably we got kicked out. Yep. Um, and then four other people, um, most of them doing backing vocals uh, or keyboards um, or co vocals in the, the, the in the um, the case of Shannon Hoon from Blind Men and, yeah. who, who, oh, does, don't cry. and don't, who does Don't Cry. Um, it's a bit more on Use Your Illusion One, admittedly. But not an insane amount. No. You know, horns, again, backing vocals, acoustic guitar, sound effects on Coma. (laughs) Um, Well, that's all the, like, zap him again. Yeah, yeah. All that kind of bullshit, yeah. 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 Um, But it's not an insane... An insane... Amount of people that worked, particularly on Guns, um, particularly on Usually Losing Two. I mean, actually <laughs> on Usually Losing One, you've got like Michael Monroe from Hanno, Rock, Hanno rocks Shannon name. Hoon, um, Alice Cooper Alice Cooper's as well. In the Garden, yeah. What's so. um,
1: Michael Monroe on again?
0: Bad Obsession. Uh, yes, Saxon Bad Obsession. Yeah. Um, so you know. That whole thing of, uh, excess is excesses, excesses. Like they actually managed to put it all together pretty much by themselves, which is pretty cool,
1: more or less. I mean, um, something which is really surprising the basic tracks for the album. Um, Slash once claimed that they recorded 30 songs in 30 days, uh, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, he said it took three weeks, um, just him and Mike Clink putting down the guitar parts like which is nothing i mean that is really a very very short amount of time mm. the thing that took ages was Axel rose um do Axel rose doing his vocals and him bringing in the synthesizer parts basically to try and make them grander and more epic um, and that's what ended up taking loads and loads of time so the core of um slash duff izzy and matt sorum it ended up being uh recorded all of their stuff on this record, the meat of the album in 30 days, which is
0: bonkers. That's so mad. Yeah. When you think yeah. how long <laughs> that bastard takes to work. It's,
1: it's insane. And, and in t- I don't know the exact time that they were working on the Use Your Illusion records, but I know they started, I believe they started in terms of recording early 1990 and it ended
0: up coming out September 91. Mm. So... Yeah, mad. I mean, it's still, uh, it still seems like a really short amount of time when you think of the fucking Howard Hughes shit he pulled like a decade later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 it, it does. Yeah. Yeah, um, um, yeah that, is, that is pretty mad. Um, so after its release, again, you know, th- this thing that I think it's been painted in popular culture now, that the release of Use Your Illusion, it got to number one, but was then kind of critically panned and rejected. Uh, I just noticed it only sold... I say only. It sold 300,000 copies, which is platinum in the UK, but only 300,000 copies in the UK, which I was quite surprised. That that feels like... When you think of... I mean, we talked about The Verve selling something like six million copies of Mm. their records just in the UK alone. Mm. Um, You wouldn't think that Guns N' Roses are so much smaller than... the. I'm sure, Use Your Illusion, sold a a lot more than 300,000 copies, but you would think... You
1: know Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. Over what period of time, though? Uh, did it sell three hundred thousand copies?
0: I'm sure it sold more than that. Now. Well, no. No. But that's. I mean, that's what it says. It's really it's totally been certified platinum once here in the UK. Fuck. That's really surprising. Mm. Okay. So that's two hundred fifty thousand copies wow. to go platinum here in the UK. Um. Especially considering it sold fifteen million in total. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, when you look, I mean, we seem to be one of the few countries uh, that didn't sort of go big on it. Mm. To be honest. Okay. Um it seems quite a, quite a paucity. I mean, 7 million alone in the US. I think you already said that. Yeah. Um, you're looking at, you know, about one and a half million in Germany alone, about a million in Canada. Um, and then Britain, uh, sold. I mean, it sold more in Japan, Argentina, Australia, Brazil, um, France, sold more in France as well. So, you know, um, i don't know if that has anything to do with they often say you know britain was the first place that grunge grunge broke in britain didn't it, mm. in it, in it like mm. it, the, you know mud honey i don't think you know people were already thinking about grunge you think of um everett true's piece in in enemy in the enemy in kind of 1990 i think that was on the the lame fest you know mud honey tad and nirvana tour mm. um and Sub Pop were already kind of sending as much stuff over to England as they possibly could. Mm. You also had Baggy happening over here as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Rave culture mm-hmm. was kind of happening at this point. I know I mentioned rave culture quite a lot, but the, you know, the Hacienda mm-hmm. um, commercially, that stuff was starting to to pick up at quite a lot of speed. And, you know, Happy Mondays and it would have been the Stone Roses at that point as well. So I think maybe Britain possibly preempted the uh, the backlash maybe of of guns and roses before anyone else
1: maybe i've i've never really considered it i think certainly i mean i think as a country generally we would um uh, and this is a massive generalization but i think we would respond less well to the bloated excesses of it than say america (laughs) for Mm. example who would probably embrace those bloated excesses Mm. um but yeah, no I I, I I don't know really. I mean I was 6 at the time this yeah. these records. Well I mean are... I was only 11. Yeah, yeah. But
0: what I do remember is, you know, there was a very at my school there was a handful of people who loved Guns N' Roses. Mm-hmm. And it tended to be gun, gun this time it was Guns N' Roses and Metallica. Yeah. Um uh, and every shirt of those sort of hardened group of maybe 10 kids were wearing Guns N' Roses Metallica. Or Megadeth shirts. Those right. seem to be the three bands right. that everybody wore from kind of 1990 up to maybe 1992. So the first my sort of first couple of years at school. I mean, actually, in 1990, I was still at primary school. So when I went to secondary school, I noticed kids wearing long-sleeve T-shirts, black long-sleeve T-shirts, wearing Metallica or Guns N' Roses or um, Megadeth shirts. It mm. never seemed to be anything else, right? Mm. Um, and then within two years, that number had multiplied by... Tenfold, tenfold, and it was people wearing Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, definitely Nirvana, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Therapy Shirts, Yeah, like um, it never, Guns and Roses everybody, I, I think we all knew who they were, mm. Uh, mm. but I don't really feel like my group of friends, my peers who were sort of 11, 12 going up to 13 we never really gravitated, most of us didn't gravitate to Guns and Roses, we all gravitated to grunge um i don't know if that's uh a kind of fair representation of what happened throughout the world or Mm. throughout britain Mm. sorry Mm. not the world Mm. but throughout britain in general but you know because it couldn't have been because i'm sure appetite for destruction was fucking massive but it just felt like even post appetite for destruction uh I'm not sure were Guns N Roses ever the the darlings of the media here in Britain? Um, I
1: reckon around the time of those marquee shows. Yeah, probably then, I think yeah. they were. Mm. I think um and I do think that appetite hit or mm, I I do think that journalists in the UK got guns before they did in america generally yeah uh, but that would have been appetite mm-hmm. era but then uh, we
0: moved on just as quickly This is exactly i think yeah. we moved on just as quickly yeah uh, i
1: mean i certainly i remember so i probably would have got that c90 from my brother around 94 95 something like that mm-hmm. and i definitely remember going into school and um being gently teased for liking a prehistoric band, which is crazy. It only come out four years earlier. Yeah. Um, but you know, because um my friends were listening to Oasis uh i d I didn't have loads of grunge friends. There were definitely a few Nirvana fans. So futuristic as no.
0: well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um you know like yeah I mean yeah but this is a thing, isn't it? Fashion. It's crazy.
0: Um, but-, but that's something I find very odd, that we talk about how quickly the world moves now. And, you know, in the, the, the in this kind of micro-blogger, Instagram, fast-paced, internet-driven world where content is there and gone and memes are here and then they're gone within seconds. And everyone says, oh, you know, culture moves so fast these days. I don't feel like trends in music or uh, – do you know what I mean? I mean, I think I said it on a, a podcast of, a few weeks ago that we were doing about yeah, – Taylor Swift's been – in the public eye since the mid-naughties now. She's yeah. not a new artist, yet yeah. she's treated by some of her younger fans as if she's the hot new thing yeah. that's just happened. Yeah. But she's been around for ages, and particularly in rock music. You're, you're quite right. Guns and Roses felt like fucking dinosaurs to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, their entire career, really, when you think about it, from the point that they... From the point Appetite came out, and, you know, I'm reluctant to say this because Appetite definitely was a slow burn mm-hmm. that took about a year to properly. It wasn't until Sweet Child of Mine was released as a single that that became a big, big deal. But from, you know, Guns's um sort of tenure was six, seven years. But in that time, they achieved sales and achieved a popularity that was uh, comparable to the likes of, you know, Fleetwood Mac or Led Zeppelin or... I mean, they, around the time Use Your Illusion was released, they were
0: the biggest band in the world. Of course they were. Legit as well. Like, people say, you know, we've spoken about Oasis saying we were the biggest band in the world. Nonsense. But me, I mean, even in 1996, if you went anywhere other than Britain in the world, and it was Guns N' Roses or, like, Oasis would be supporting Guns N' Roses. Definitely. Like, they might. Probably not in England actually, but any yeah, but anywhere else outside of Britain, of course Guns N' Roses were still, even though they weren't doing anything. Yeah. Yeah. They were far, far, far bigger. Yeah. Um, but they just felt like I think, you know, I mean and then and then when Corn and Marilyn Manson and stuff like that came along, yep. even more that, that accelerated. I mean, that was so ninety six, Life is Peachy comes out and uh-huh. Annie Superstar comes out. And that, you know, People were talking about our Pearl Jam finished, I remember, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. No, they were about to release No, no Code, Code,
1: which which um, I think people look back on No Code quite fondly now. But at the time, they definitely didn't. No. They thought it was a really
0: pretentious, hippie yeah. kind of record. So Grunge, um, which was the thing which kind of apparently had killed off the used illusion era Guns N' Roses, which obviously it didn't really. But the thing that was meant to have killed off Guns N' Roses was now being killed off by something else. Yeah. Yeah, and that's only five years after it was released. Still showed, sold shitloads, though. Of course it did. And right? they
1: went on a mammoth tour, which lasted about two and a half years. You know, yeah. I, I think, I mean, as I said, the the rock had already started rolling down the hill, mm-hmm. so it couldn't be stopped yeah. um, at that point. And and even if people had very strong opinions about um, Guns N' Roses like really really hated them i mean it's kind of like i mean coldplay are a massive band but people fucking hate them you know it's just the coldplay thing but reduced to a period of like two or three years rather yeah. than however long people f- hate hate coldplay for mm. about two, <laughs> two decades at this point <laughs> <Yeah>. um <clears throat> but yeah i mean i i think i was always um uh, guns and roses were always lumped in with this hair metal thing um and in right at the beginning of their career it was understandable ish um they certainly looked like a hair metal band utter reprobates and uh axel if you recall right at the beginning if you go to welcome the welcome to the jungle video he does have his hair
0: sort of has got a spiky mullet
1: he's got a know. spiky mullet yeah 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 um and he very much does look like that and obviously it came from la where a lot of that scene came out But for me, User Illusion is. I guess because User Illusion was my introduction to guns, I definitely never saw them like that. Because, you know, Motley Crue would not have been capable of releasing a User Illusion. Rat would not have been capable of releasing a User Illusion. Poison, um, Wasp. um, Any of them. Any of them, yeah. I mean, and, and this is why I've always sort of blanched whenever people have put them in the same category because they were far beyond doing that yeah and it is broadly down to axel rose for for all his faults it was his vision and his idea to well, put them into those areas. i think
0: there's two things with guns and roses which makes them obviously not a hair metal band one is they are far nastier and harder than any mm-hmm. of those bands yep um motley crew you can fucking go oh look how many lines of ants we snorted and we drunk our piss and we yeah, fucked yeah. everyone in the world and you know I mean, we've got but their music's junior, pretty tame, but really. their music is well tame. Um, so Guns N' Roses are heavier and harder and nastier and punkier than any of those bands. They're also much more melodic, much better songwriters, yep. much broad, like much grander. It's just they're just obviously they're just better. So, yep. yes, although it came from the same place at around the same time, it looked the same at points. And it became, you know, it became a circus at this time. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah, that and 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 I think you know, hair metal was nothing, but, sh- you know, champagne bottles and high cheekbones and and clothes, yeah, and dress yeah. and surface level bullshit. Um, you know, big man babies playing up to like, you know, we we hate it. <laughs> for yeah, what it's worth, yeah, 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 we hate yeah, yeah. it, and unfortunately, Guns and Roses embraced a hell of a lot of that stuff without really ever sounding like it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's you know what it took me a long time to get into Guns and Roses purely because I couldn't dis I couldn't distance them far enough away. Mm. You know, as someone who was listening to Alice in Chains or Screaming Trees or whatever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find enough distance from the way they looked and acted and and seeing these huge venues these massive stadiums kind of how kind of how Johnny Rotten and Joe Strummer and everyone probably felt about Led Zeppelin and the Eagles and mm-hmm. uh, yep. in in the, in the 70s like that's kind of what you know nobody you know I know Johnny Rotten said how much he fuck Pink Floyd and um, we want you know that we hated them and everything but no one hated, i don't think people disliked pink floyd's music it was just that they'd become such a massive untouchable you know it was like the, how were these people relatable in any way well they didn't it felt like that there was a divide between the stage and the audience i yeah. think is the key thing yeah. isn't it yeah. and grunge was it you know it was it was exactly the same thing happening except this time guns and roses had become the eagles yeah yeah and particularly you know it's not a fair comparison I think when you listen to this with the the benefit of hindsight of this record two decades down the line it's quite it's a pretty unfair comparison Mm. to kind of lump them in with those people totally unfair it's very unfair but um, but you know it was people tend to view things uh on with it with their eye like music people listen with their eyes a lot absolutely
1: yeah yeah. yeah. well there's a very kind of common perception that you know as with a lot of double albums if um use your illusion was released as a single album then it would be absolutely shit hot debatably as good as appetite some people would even argue if you took the best material maybe even better than appetite Mm -hmm. um I have tried, usually with my brother actually, many times to make a single disc version of User Illusion. And um, I think because of my um, strong bias, strong love of it, I, I can't really manage to do it. I could probably just about put it on a C90, but I've always struggled to. But um, I mentioned before that Walmart refused to stock uh User Illusion. In 1998, there was actually a version of Use Your Illusion that came out simply called Use Your Illusion. Right. Which um, basically put 12 of the 30 songs together on one CD. It was a single disc and uh, it featured the most popular and least objectionable songs. Wow. Basically. Um, It's claimed there are no songs with bad language on it, although I do. There is actually one exception. Do you want to hear the track list? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so we start with Live and Let Die. Bit of a weird one to start with, (laughs) but sure. Go into Don't Cry, the original version. Then into You Ain't the First. Never the strongest song on the album, I don't think. Then into November Rain, fair enough. Bit weird at coming forth very early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then into The Garden, okay. Right. Then into Dead Horse. Okay. Then Civil War, fair. Mm-hmm. Then 14 Years, and this is where I um, uh, call Bullshit on there being no bad language on this album because the song 14 Years contains the word bullshit. <laughs>
0: um,
1: then Yesterday's.
0: Yeah, well, that's Fair. sequenced rather yeah, well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, It's
1: sequenced. In fact, the Huge Illusion 2 songs so far are sequenced exactly as they are on that album. Mm. Then Knocking on Heaven's Door, so it's still sequenced in the same way. Then Estranged. And then the... Ooh. all yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> mixing out a massive chunk of amazing songs and then the alternate lyric version to don't cry so you've got both versions of don't cry that's on that insane. it's ridiculous it's so stupid um i mean it's a p- pathetic pathetic attempt obviously they were partly doing it because they wanted to uh, have a version which didn't have any bad language on it by the bullshit yeah. um I was wondering, I don't know if this is a fair thing to do to you, but I was wondering if you could try and put together a single version yourself. I was curious Ooh. what your version would be. This might require a little bit of editing, because I'm pretty sure I've just thrown this you on you. You have just thrown it at me. Um, but, um, um, I won't be okay. open with Live and Let Die, if I can fucking tell you that Fuck much. no. Um, ridiculous. Absolutely I, ridiculous.
0: Okay, yeah, no, let's let's have a go. I'm going to open with You Could Be Mine. Oh. Nice, yeah. Because that's weird that coming out late in there because it's such a it's such a massive it's such a massive one in it. Yeah, Huge. so
1: you could be mine is track twelve on Use Your Illusion two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ridiculous. Um,
0: I would then plump for I think fourteen years into yesterday's is a killer mm. one two at the start mm. of the record. So mm. I'm stuck on three songs from Use Your Illusion three, uh, Use Your Illusion two. Let's call this Use Your Illusion three, <laughs> um, <laughs> Use Your Illusion two right at the start. Um, and then I suppose you want to more of a slow one after that don't you so uh, i would put um i've got to pick something I'm, I'm gonna go with the original version of don't cry which mm-hmm. is also fourth yeah which is also fourth on the record so i'm mm-hmm. not deviating too mm-hmm. far from the track listing so far mm-hmm. so i put that fourth um i'm gonna put in um then i think bad obsession
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Which I is, think that's a, Okay. I'm not a massive... I'm not okay. the biggest
0: fan of Bad of session, but okay. Uh, and... Um, or maybe... Oh, maybe... Back <laughs> that run of Bad of session Back Off Bitch, Double Jive, Double, double Talking talk Jive, is really sort of ludicrous, but it is good. The um, opening... Like, just quick aside. The opening
1: line to uh, Double Talking Jive. Got a head and an arm in the garbage can. Don't know why I'm here. Um, that uh, was recorded because... Um, the police found a decapitated head and an arm in the garbage can behind Guns N' Roses' studio. And Izzy, uh, it's Izzy Stradling, who does lead vocals on that song, was so inspired by it. He'd flown to, back to Indiana, his home, mm. already, but he flew back to LA, recorded that line for Double Talking Drive, and then flew back.
0: Excess. Ridiculous. Lovely, uh, lovely stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I, no, I'm going to... So what are we on now, st- seven tracks? The, yeah, that would be track... That is track six, so this would be track seven. Track seven, I'm gonna have "Knock Knock Knocking on Heaven's Door." Oh, very nice. Which I, I don't know, I seem to have a, people don't like it, but I, I really like. We'll it. discuss covers later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, knocking on Heaven's Door. Um, I like Knocking on Heaven's Door. Uh, but... And then I would have. Uh, I can't go back to back on covers, can you? Because I was thinking of Living It Die after that.
1: Oh yeah. Mm. Um, okay. But,
0: yeah. yeah really. Can Maybe we'll discover cover, discuss covers after this then. Um, uh, Dust and Bones. Yeah. Dust and Bones. The best eight. song Rolling Stones never wrote. Yeah, Dust, Dust and, and Bones. Bones into into Live and Let Die, into Civil War, Ooh. into... Dutty. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> not many epics so far. No. You're I'm not, not leaving I'm much that, room for the epics. I'm not, am I? I've just realised It's I'm... hard, isn't it?
0: Um, uh, yeah, what the, where was I? Civil War. Oh, fuck. I want to put November Rain in now. Um, oh, I can't you put November Rain after Civil War. No, you can't really. Okay, uh, you can't end with estranged. into you can't end with estranged. You into can't coma. end with November Rain into coma into estranged. Can you? Well, I I I I've not been keeping. T- I've been keeping a rough
1: tally of time lengths in my. In my head, because I love this album so much, I do know roughly how long <laughs> each song is. But I would have thought that you would have gone over
0: uh, seventy-nine minutes okay. at this point One of because you've got going to have to go. You, then. So exactly. I'm going to bin exactly. off coma. I'm going to bin oh, off. Com- I know. Off. I don't know. I have to. You don't <laughs> you've given me no choice. So I'm going to go off. shotgun blues. Yeah. What? I like okay. Oh, no. okay. Fair I know. Like okay. Right. Shotgun blues into so November rain into shotgun blues into estranged into and then I gonna end on getting the ring <laughs> <laughs> and the, whole, the whole thing on getting the ring so so the um so
1: your version of the record ends with axel going this song is dedicated to all the guns and fucking roses yeah. fans who stuck yeah. with us through all the fucking shit and to all those who pose <laughs> well. So that's how yours ends. Yes, very nice. Yes, um, that
0: that is exactly. I want it. I definitely want to end it on getting the ring, even though I think getting the ring is ooh, so silly.
1: <laughs> <just> really stupid. <laughs> we will definitely talk about
0: getting the ring. Um, um you chucked that at me, Renfrey. I've I did. Like, but it's fine. I think
1: you did very well. Thanks. Um, I'm not sure if that would be on a 79. Let's put. It, we'll put it together as a playlist. Um, I'll try and yeah. put a
0: version together as well. well. I, maybe let me. Have another little of course of course but my point
1: is it's much harder to do than people say it is isn't it Mm. it really is and i think it's mainly down to the i mean as i've already said i think the epics on this record are fucking solid and i would really struggle um when i say the epics i mean november rain estranged coma those three alone you're talking 30 minutes yeah um plus civil war you're talking around 38 minutes uh oh and i i would throw in locomotive as well which is an additional eight and a half nine minutes
0: i did look at that but then i looked at the time as well (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. oh but
1: it's so good um i mean you know so those five songs alone you're talking 45 minutes Mm. like 45 minute um and then you've only got what uh 40 minutes left to play with so Mm. yeah it's really fucking difficult um uh, let's get into the tracks a bit more individually. Then I, we, we, we're talking about covers. Yeah. Two cover choices across both records: uh, "Live and Let Die" originally by Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney, aka Wings, the band the Beatles could have been. <laughs> <laughs> and "Knocking on Heaven's Door" originally by Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm really pleased you stuck up for "Knocking on Heaven's Door" because I, like it a lot. I think. Um, I, I definitely personally think it's the better of the two covers
0: personally. I mean, I just like going, I, 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 I. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, but I, I, I think the
1: reason I prefer it, the, their version of live and let die is effectively, I, I do think it's more successful than the wings cover, mainly because Paul McCartney doesn't really have the, Danger about yeah. him to be able to sing those Anyone lyrics. Anyone
0: who thinks that Live and Let Paul McCartney's version of Live and Let Die is superior to the Guns N' Roses version is a fool.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I would agree with that. And also just just the fact that the distortions turned up a bit and all that yeah. stuff. It's played by a hard rock band as opposed to I Memoir mean, Wings. The band the Beatles going to be. But knocking on Heaven's Door, um, Guns took a folk song. The original yeah. version of knocking On Heaven's Door is two and a half minutes. It's Bob Dylan and the guitar, more or less.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the, the As is much of Bob Dylan's material. Exactly. Bob Dylan is... Now, listen, I, it's like I love Bob Dylan, right? I grew up listening to Bob Dylan with, through my mum, quite a lot. My mum's pretty much my mum's favourite artist ever. I think Bob Dylan is really, really great. But a lot of people do Bob Dylan songs a lot better than Bob Dylan do Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan songs. I agree. Most people, there are a lot of Bob Dylan songs that are covered from Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower, The Birds doing Mr. Tambourine Man, you know. I got into
1: Bob (laughs) Dylan. Not the Rolling
0: Stones doing uh, like a Rolling Stone. I I got
1: into Bob Dylan um, because of Pearl Jam's cover of Masters of War. So,
0: Mm. yeah, which Mm. is fantastic and vastly superior to the Bob Dylan version. So, uh, yes, Bob Dylan and an exceptional songwriter, but some people have taken his songs and have reimagined them in, far superior ways i yeah. think it's cool to, to say that no one's going to be too like what well and, yeah well cue readers might be but they're wrong
1: yeah. and 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 you know yeah so guns N' roses take this two and a half minute folk song and turn it into an arena sing-along anthem um which i think you, you know it, it, it is very 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 different to mm. the original and live, I mean that you know, I mean this is the song that gave us the immortal line, "Give me some reggae," because you know which goes into the re- It is excessive and ridiculous. And I've heard live versions of "Knocking on Heaven's Door" which go on, f- fucking twelve minutes, mm. which is stupid and ridiculous. But the fact that it came from that two and a half minute folk song, I just, th- I just think that's kind of cool. And the version on "Use Your Illusion 2, which is about five minutes long. Is
0: yeah, it's not that long. I always feel like it is. I think, oh yeah, live, they stretch out they fuck. too metal. fucking long, yeah. yeah.
1: But 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 the, the version on the record is really good. And yeah. Axel's, yeah, as you say, Axel's... Yeah. Iconic, remember the word. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking excellent. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, personally... Yeah, you really like Live and Let Die as
0: well? I do like Live and Let Die. It's funny. It's just, it's a fun song, right?
1: It is fun. I don't, I I, I think if I were making a single version, I don't think I would include it. But I, I don't dislike it. Um, I just don't love it, I suppose, um, compared That's to rare. a lot of the other material. But it's good. It's fine. Um, shall we talk about getting the Ring? Because I feel like yes, you want to. Yes, yes,
0: please. Let's do that.
1: Um the song Get in the Ring finds the band lashing out at a career's worth of critics and enemies. Among those referred to by name are editors of several entertainment magazines, Bob Guccione Jr. from Spin, Mick Waller Kerrang, yeah. uh, oh fuck, I've done it in the wrong order, um, uh, Andy Setter at Hit Parader. Um, then, uh, yes, and it is basically Axl Rose's tirade against um, critics Suggesting that maybe they'd become, I don't know,
0: well, j- just, just critics, being critics, it's basically. The, uh, the original and much angrier version of Mr. Writer by the stereophonics. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think the stereophonics would be coming up. No, either. no, 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 but it is, isn't it? I mean, except yeah. no one was ever really that nasty to stereophonics. No. Because people no. just went, yeah, you're a, a kind of boring band. And yeah. Kelly Jones like, how dare, how dare you? How dare you call me bland? <laughs> I think debatably at the point
1: that Getting The Ring was written, because again, Getting In The written, Ring was written in the late 80s. Yeah. I don't think the critics have been all that bad to Guns N' Roses, to be mm. honest. Mm. Um, there was certainly a lot worse to come um, in terms of what the critics would do. Uh, I mean, it is a very throw your... Toys out of the pram song.
0: It's bizarre to me. Yeah. I think it's so because like you say, like I, I remember hearing it. Obviously, when I heard it and properly heard it, um, it would have been in the late, you know, the kind of the latter part of the 90s when I started kind of actually going, Oh, I should probably listen to Guns and Roses properly. And I was like, Oh yeah, because now every time you see him in Kerrang, they're going, What's happening with Slash? When's your new album coming out? What are you doing? Why is there a riot? Like mm-hmm. all this stuff, like why did you know why have you done all these weird things and they got a bit of a kicking at that point but thinking about it being recorded and i was like i so you had one album out at the time which made you the biggest band in the world and everybody fucking loved you and you've written a song going you bastards why are you writing this stuff about us what yeah yeah it did i mean
1: you know axel was a sensitive soul it did seem a little bit um ott to be honest mm. but you know um, and it is a very kind. I think it's the uh, something that always pains me is um, a lot of critics sometimes call sort of Fred Durst the sort of Axel Rose of the twenty first century. I think they kind of do that purely because of like white man being angry kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And I think Axel is a lot more talented than than Fred Durst generally. Mate, I think
0: fucking Dizzy Reed is a lot more talented. <laughs> than than keyboard is a guns and roses there
1: um there is a fascinating article by Mick Wall who was one of the um uh writers who was called out in um the song um i'm going to read a fair amount of this i mean i might end up cutting some of it um, but it is a really, really... I'm sure it's available online. I believe the headline is Ripping Off The Kids Printing lifestyle Starting Controversy. Mm. Um, but you can... I'm sure you can find this account on, um, on the internet somewhere. And it's from Classic Rock. Um, but it is a fascinating, fascinating uh, account of what happened from his point of view. Um, so... He says fast forward to January 1990 and a phone call just as I'm getting ready to hit the sack. It's Axel wanting to know if I can come over to his place right now because he has something important to say. At the time he was living in a small two bedroom apartment in West Hollywood. And when I got there he was raving. It was all about Motley Crue singer Vince Neil who he claimed had jumped Izzy from behind and roughed him up a couple of nights earlier. The argument was over Vince's wife, who claimed Izzy had come on to her, while Axel now insisted it was the other way around, and that it was Vince's wife, a former mud wrestler at the Tropicana, who had made a pass at Izzy, or something... It was a lot of nothing about nothing, but Axel was mad. He was going to make Vince pay. He began ranting about how he wanted to kill that motherfucker. He chundered on for a full 10 minutes before he finally calmed down long enough for me to set up the tape recorder. He was saying crazy things, fantasizing about what he was going to do to Vince what he got once he got hold of him. So before the interview began, I sat on the couch and scribbled down some of the things he had said so that I could throw them back at him in the interview, including some astonishing statements like, anyway, you want to go? Guns or knives, motherfucker. And a few other choice <laughs> phrases. Then we sat down and began taping. Later, though, when I came to write up the interview, I tried to give the full flavour of how menacing Axel had sounded during the early part of my visit and included all the controversial comments he had made on tape, plus one or two of the things I had written down that he'd said when I first arrived and he was still on a roll. But when I read it back, I realised how heavy some of the things that Axel had said actually looked in black and white. So I decided that to be on the safe side, I should contact him in case he had changed his mind or wanted to lighten it up a little. We spoke on the phone and I explained my fears to him and asked if he wanted to retract any of the more inflammatory quotes. He just laughed at me. No, man, he said. I still stand by every fucking word. But when the interview ran as a cover story in April 1990, it immediately caused uproar in both the Motley Crew and Gunners camps. And suddenly it was nothing to do with Izzy anymore. Coming from the same town, the two bands ran in many of the same circles – Crew bassist Nikki Sixx and Slash had once been big pals and shared many of the same friends and business acquaintances. By making such a controversial public statement, Axel may have briefly got to Vince Neil, but he'd also started something no one else in either band would have wanted. He had started a war. And my feeling is that it was at the very moment that Axel realised what he'd done that he first began to turn against me in his mind. Nothing was ever his fault. If something had gone wrong, it must have been someone else's fuck-up. Or in this case, mine. Uh, fascinating article. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, go go and seek it out. We'll try and, I'll try and find it online and uh, provide a link at some point. Mm. But yeah, really, really interesting account. We were talking about potentially getting Mick Wall on this to uh, to talk about it, but he's talked about it so many times, I can't imagine it'd be interesting. But um, yeah, get in the ring. Do you like it?
0: I think it's hilarious. You're an antagonistic motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I t- okay, so here's what I do like about it. I think it's, it's fairly catchy, and I like the kind of honky tonk piano part in it. I think the actual musically, it's it's a you know a, a pretty cool little song. I mean, it's the riff's great. <laughs> yeah, the riff's great. <laughs> he sounds and you know it's good to hear someone. <laughs> I'm really angry. Man, he sounds really <laughs> pissed off. I do like it. And when you think... when you, I mean, I'm trying to think what other comparable songs there are to it. Hot Dog by Limp Biscuit. Yeah, I, I was going to say Hot Dog. Uh, maybe Anti-Vis by Bring Me the Horizon as well. Yeah. And when you consider those two songs, um, it doesn't... When you, when you put it in, in the context of songs like that, it suddenly doesn't seem like such a bad song after all does it because no, definitely uh, not. although i think hot dog by limp biscuit is a banger definitely okay it's a really good song lyrically it is even right like, in next to get in the ring it, it is childish shit. as fuck yeah, yeah it's yeah, yeah, shit yeah. lyrically uh it doesn't make any sense i mean i actually put it's funny because i just posted up today of um on on twitter of that you know when they when the o2 when they right, whoever's playing, I'm going to see Slipknot the O2 tonight as we record this. And they write a, a verse of stuff yep. and using all the like, hey, look, I, I, we can bring up all of the names of songs and put them in. And the thing they write, it doesn't mean anything at all. Yeah, they just yeah, crowbarred yeah, yeah, yeah. in as many song titles as possible. And you go, well, that doesn't actually mean anything. You've yeah. just gone like, <laughs> I am a disaster piece and I'm ready to spit it out tonight when yes. I do get my dual, duality of surfacing through spiders, and you're like, well, what does what does that mean? Other than I've just said some, and that's this, what, this is on a board uh, yeah, on the underground, yeah, and, and people love it's, it. I hate it. Um, and um, <laughs> of course, you do. Steve. I've got, well, it's shit, and um, and that's what hot dog is. It's just some bloke going, uh yeah, you're a fucking." nine inch snail with yeah. you're closer to getting hurt with the perfect drug and it's like oh it yeah. doesn't really mean anything it's not, Whereas not at least at yeah. least get in the ring you go okay well he's really angry I think I think <laughs> like, I think
1: the shocking thing was Axel naming the journalists like like actually actually putting their names in the song for you know for prosperity uh, Andy Setcher from Hit Parader, Mick Wall at Kerrang, Bob, Bob Guccione junior at Spin, what you pissed off because your dad gets more pussy than you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. Suck my fucking dick. You know, it's so antagonistic. And I, it's fucking childish. I would like the song a lot more if it wasn't so antagonistic and and silly. Yeah, But then at the same time, I admire the boldness of it, I guess. Mm. Um, but it's kind of a shame in a way because... I mean, Axel has um, previous with this. With this, in terms of like, I'm not going to go as far as saying ruining a good song, but you know, there's the one in a million debacle, yeah, um, which is a one in a million musically. It's a really cool, good song, um, sort of ruined by the fact. That, uh, full Rage, don't he? yes, he uses, um, the N word that white people shouldn't use. He uses an F word, which, uh, well, I was going to say, Nobody people. I, I was going to say, I, I was going to people say people who aren't gay shouldn't use, but, but no one should use really. Uh, he cusses out immigrants. It, you know, it's, it's, um, D- not good uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, but annoyingly the song's the song itself is actually really good mm. um and i think the same of getting the ring i think the actual stuff underneath it yeah, is really too. good but yeah. but then you're just like oh axel you silly <laughs> silly man mm. um
0: anything else you want to say on getting the ring uh, other no.
1: than it's your theme to <laughs> uh, no, you I,
0: I mean god uh, i think now if you did oh, if you did it now that, I mean that whole, I'm quite bored of like, oh, imagine doing that now. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but like, I do think like, I think like Eminem's just got in trouble recently. Right. For just mentioning um, what happened in the Ariana Grande, uh, Manchester bombing thing, which is. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I saw that. Yeah. It yeah. was a, can't really defend that. Although he, Eminem is Eminem, isn't he? So he's probably yeah. like, well, well, he's courting it, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I want to say something that people will upset people, and he's upset people. Um, we shouldn't really be surprised. But if you if someone released a song now, going, um, we're a really massive band, and that guy wrote some shit about us that I don't like. This is his name. People would find you on the internet, and they would fucking you'd get. You'd have to have your you your Twitter account. You'd have to close it down. You'd have to you have to mm, disappear. Probably. You would. Um, and I don't think Axel Rose would get go- so it's the sort of thing where you go, well, I don't think people would do that now, but then at the same time, I think Axel Rose when I don't want to say people, I don't mean Axel Rose. I think Axel Rose still probably would do that <laughs> uh, and he wouldn't give a fuck and it could oh, be really ca- pretty shitty for somebody
1: He's calmed down immensely, hasn't he I would say I mean since the reunion... yeah thing. yeah, he
0: seems to have yeah
1: he seems to have yeah, yeah I mean he's not I mean, done in
0: the interview I mean what, they what, yeah, he's, they he's do vanished. not do press yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, so you know maybe. But, but, you know, I mean, just the fact, I, I think a lot of people before the reunion happened predicted it would last a couple of dates and then it would all go to shit. That has not happened. Yeah. You know, it's been a massive, massive success. Yeah. And we both saw it and it was fucking amazing. It was, you know, great, it was yeah. as close to seeing them in that use your illusion era as you could possibly get, I think. Mm. So um, uh, what about Civil War?
0: I, I love Civil War. What it's a really fucking good. brilliant song.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I love Civil War. Kind of an unusual, quite an unusual song in that, like, it's a kind of a hard rock song with, like, some l- debatably Leonard Skinner-esque. Yeah. It's, it's it's an unusual one. It starts quite An unusual folky. album opener. Yeah, really unusual. Album I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: mean, seven and three quarter minutes, just mm-hmm. under. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, a slow burn yep. uh, of, a, of, an, of an opener as well, yeah. which you wouldn't really expect from, you know. I mean, I guess buying this on the back of buying Appetite for Destruction, and you and this is the one that sold more, you buy it and you press play, and Civil War's the first thing that comes on. Yeah. That is That would probably be quite a jolt to the system for a lot of people. In
1: comparison, Use Your Illusion 1 starts with Right Next Door to Hell, which yep. is a rager. Mm-hmm. And Right Next Door to Hell...
0: Uh, Could have
1: been on Appetite I reckon musically, stylistically yeah. It's not too dissimilar to say uh, You're crazy from Appetite Or something like that mm. Right next door Hell's about Axl Rose's neighbour By the way Right. Fun little fact. Um They, they, they don't get on.
0: They, they didn't That's get surprise, on. That's a isn't it? It's right. easy to get Imagine if you moved in and it's nights or next to you. like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> right, bang on the... You two just go, bang, bang, turn that fucking TV off. all oh, day. like, come on, mate. You know, <laughs> you've you know. just
1: reminded me, I'm jumping around a little bit, but you just reminded me, um you know, Duff ended up playing at the O2 Arena in London. Yes. With uh, Guns N' well, yeah. Roses, with Guns and Friends. Um, that happened because uh, Duff uh, flew in from Seattle to attend um, some business meetings, boring business meetings, which just keeps things going. And he'd rented out a room in a hotel to have these meetings. He goes up to his room and he puts some music on to shake off the jet lag, as he put it. And a couple of minutes later, there's a bang at his door because someone's um complaining and asking him to turn it down and it was axel rose really and and they hadn't seen each other for years and they're like oh fuck how are you doing man and all that sort of thing axel was like come to the show tonight it'll be a laugh and then um just before i think just before uh they went on stage axel was like do you want to do a couple of songs with us and uh, and that was it and duff was sort of saying he was up on stage going oh fuck i'm gonna have to talk about this in every interview now because obviously they made such a massive thing of it um and of course, Guns Roses did get back together again six years later. But yeah. Duff was always, Duff was always the person who never fell out with anyone else. He like yeah. he he kept in touch with Izzy. He kept in touch with, um, with Stephen Slash. He was always the mediator and the guy in the middle. And quite likely, we don't know this for a fact, but I would not be surprised if Duff wasn't a massive help in instigating the reunion at
0: least. Have you ever interviewed Duff before? No, I'd love to interview Duff. He's a legend fucking lovely. Yeah, I bet he is. I'd like he's I mean like not to kind of, you know, go too much into, you know, all this kind of name droppy stuff, but having interviewed Slash and Duff. Yeah, I've interviewed Slash. Yeah. Again, so chilled out and lovely. Yeah. And just a nice bloke. Yeah. Remembered your name. And Duff, you know, after we finished the interview, I sat there and chatted to him. For time. I had to be basically dragged. He had to be dragged away. He was like, oh, yeah, we should do, you know, and we were chatting for fucking ages. He just, yeah, just a totally
1: normal dude. He seems like a lovely guy. Um, mm. And his story is wicked. Like he went from, you know, his drug of choice was alcohol um duffs and he went from the pancreas yeah 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 woke up one day in 1994 i believe 93 94 and his pancreas had burst because of the sheer amount of alcohol Mm. um that was taking a toll on his system he reportedly drank sort of a a gallon of vodka a day two bottles of vodka by the bed for years and years and years and years you know um absolute madness but now these days he's like fit as a fiddle to say the least he's like he kickboxes and he's like really into his like healthy eating and all this kind of stuff talk about like a man who's really turned himself around it's incredible you know i would not want to go up against duff mckagan these days in a fight but when he was pissed in guns i reckon i could have shanked him (laughs) Not that I would have wanted
0: to. Yeah. <laughs> I might cut that out. I don't want to shank him. Celebrity fight. Party, right? <laughs> Why? Um, yeah. Um, um, well, speaking of the excess, I mean, unless you wanted to say anything else about any just, of
1: the Just want to finish off on Civil War purely. Um, and I want to talk about Mr. Stephen Adler just for a little bit because Civil War is the only um, track that Stephen Adler appears on. And Civil War was very much kind of the... Reason, uh, or, or, or the 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 it him not being able to perform his parts to Civil War mm. was the reason, um, that he ended up leaving. It was incredibly well, basically being fired from the band. Yeah, um, there is a version they they play Civil War live as early as nineteen ninety, I think, for some mm. sort of farm aid concert or something like that. And it is a quite bad version because Steven cannot play his parts properly because he was very, very fucked up. Um he was fired from Guns N' Roses because he couldn't stop using heroin, which is kind of iron- ironic because um there was a couple of members in that band who couldn't stop using heroin. <laughs> yeah. Um he ended up attempting to sue them, claiming they encouraged him to do heroin and then snatched his job away from them he actually won uh something like 2.25 million dollars i believe it was in some unpaid um royalties or something like that um the truth is uh, Stephen adler was just not very good at getting off heroin and mm. secondly wasn't very good at hiding it
0: um yeah you see him now and he's well, I, mean, I don't know about now but over the years there's mm. been lots of stories and lots of things that have come out about him wanting to get back in the band but just it doesn't ever feel like that's going to happen I
1: think there's been residual guilt from Slash in particular for a long long time because something that sort of came out when he wrote his autobiography it was assumed by most people that there was this gig in 1989 where Axel threatened from the stage as he often did Mm. to leave the band unless certain members stopped dancing with Mr. Brownstone which is a reference to them doing heroin uh and he was speaking specifically about slash in that case i believe um and then the next day slash had to sort of come on and do a little speech about how heroin was bad and you're not allowed to do it blah blah blah. um it is revealed in slash's autobiography that um slash was doing heroin right up until sort of the early 2000s um it's just he was much better at hiding it and also managing to be able to play and kind of basically waiting till after a show <laughs> you know mm. um but i was really surprised when i read Slash's autobiography because i kind of assumed that it was those events early early-ish in the middle of guns and roses career that had got him off heroin but he actually admits that it, something like up to like two thousand and four or something like that I mean, don't quote me on the date, but he he was he was actually using for a long 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 time after mm. that as well mm. um so there is a bitter of sort of uh irony I suppose there and that Stephen Adler had to leave, but you know he wasn't
0: performing well enough so uh well picking up on that motif, I mean yeah. I wanted to mention Shannon hoon, yes, who uh, as we said earlier does I think. Axel Rose's voice is not to everyone's taste. I think he's yeah. got, a, obviously he's got a very distinctive voice. Yeah. He's also got, I mean, that was one of the things that as a child, I was like, oh, I'm not sure I like this guy's voice at all. I can understand that. But on Don't Cry, um, I think it's a fucking incredible performance between the two of them yeah, working together. Shannon Hoon, again, a stunningly unique, vocalist Mm -hmm. and someone who Axel Rose I think he kind of took him under his wing didn't he and was you know really wanted to you know um mentor him and well Blind
1: Melon wasn't even really a thing when this album came uh certainly when they recorded it so yes Axel very much took him under his wing and very effeminate kind of voice yeah
0: really and I mean No Rain obviously is Blind Melon's biggest song I think if you want to see there's a version of no rain at woodstock 94 which you can probably watch on youtube which and you see shannon hoon in a dress walking around barefoot in the mud singing in with all the uh, and it's sober and you can see just what axl rose would have seen in shannon hoon yeah he's so um he's got so much character he's he's such a you know some people just have that superstar thing about them Yeah, yeah 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 they have so much charisma you just go like you go that guy's a rock star. It couldn't be anything else. Yeah. And Sharon Hoon was definitely that. And I think, you know, Don't Cry is vocally one of the high points over the two albums. I think it's really, really, really good. It's
1: a really good song, isn't it? It's Do really you have song. a preference between the original and the altered lyrics? I like the original, I think. More. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say I prefer the altered lyrics, but probably only because it was the first one I heard, I imagine. Yeah. Um, definitely excessive having both on there. Mm. Uh, seems yeah, a really. little bit OTT um, but I don't know it's nice to have both versions but it's not really essential is it to have both of them mm. no. um, in, uh, Shannon Hoon is in the video for Don't Cry which is a great video actually really really I good video I probably have seen it Oh, uh, they play on top of a skyscraper and, and Axel's in a grave it's great um, but uh, one notable absence from the Don't Cry video is Izzy Stradlin um and there's actually even a like someone i think it's slash uh has a sign on the back of his um back and you just see it for like half a second and it just says where's izzy um izzy stradlin wrote a letter to the band uh stating the reasons why he wasn't going to turn up to the video shoot and it was kind of instrumental in izzy leaving Izzy left the band. He wasn't fired from the band and, um, Axel in particular was very, very upset about it because Izzy and Axel had been childhood friends. They both grew up in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, Izzy Stradlin was just, um, becoming, uh, disillusioned, pun, uh, from the whole, from the whole shebang. I don't think he, I think he just, he just wanted to play music. He certainly never wanted to be a rock star. Um, uh-huh i think he found all the excesses and the direction that rose was pushing the band in just far far too much and far too ott at this point he was actually sober um which must have been quite a difficult thing to be on the road with those people uh i think um and as a result, I mean, he was actually, the band actually called him Mr. Invisible on the Use Your Illusion tour because he was hardly ever there. Um, he, whilst the band were travelling by aeroplane, another excess, uh, which you'd only see in the 90s and maybe a bit in the 80s, um, Axel was actually, uh, sorry, Izzy was actually driving between shows um, himself, um, I think just in a car kind of thing. But he, he just felt it was such a toxic environment for him. Someone who was probably relatively newly sober that he just didn't want to be there. And he didn't really want to be there at the shows all that much either, mm. I don't think. Um, I'm putting words in his mouth a little bit, but you know, I, I just don't think he was enjoying the whole rigmarole of doing it anymore. The other thing that is interesting is, um, Izzy actually, uh, I think apart from Axl Rose, I think Izzy contributed the most songs to the songwriting of Use Your Illusion, which would probably surprise a lot of people. Most people, you know, they go, they look at Axel and Slash and they go, oh, well, that's the two, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Izzy, this is something that I've wanted to correct for fucking ages. Izzy Stradlin is so fucking vital to the songwriting of Guns N' Roses. That kind of loose feel that Guns N' Roses had is particularly prevalent on Appetite for Destruction. And I think if you talk to members or uh, if you talk to people who are close with the band at that time, a lot of them will say a lot of appetite is down to Izzy. And I think the band would acknowledge that as well. But Izzy Stradlin actually had a hand in 12 of the songs on use your illusion yeah, um,
0: just looking
1: at it now, yeah. compared to slash who actually only had a hand in eight. So Izzy's songs are right next door to hell. Uh, with axel and a guy called timo Calteo, i don't know who that is Dustin and bones with slash and duff both versions of don't cry obviously with mm-hmm. rose perfect crime with rose and slash you ain't the first bad obsession with west arkeen who is a friend of the band double Talk and jive bad apples with rose slash and duff 14 years with rose and he does the lead vocal on that as well pretty tied up and you could be mine with axel rose the interesting, I, I think there's quite an interesting through line with those songs because those are the, the, the more straight ahead meet and are, yes. numbers Yeah, numbers That yeah. we were talking yeah, about. Yeah. I sort of alluded to that earlier. But he was, I think he was the Rolling Stones guy. Mm. Um, he was the guy who just really liked that swagger, rock and roll kind of vibe. And Guns N' Roses took that swaggering rock and roll thing and just injected it uh, with... Um, a hard rock, yeah, a bit of danger, male, a, bit of a, a little male, bit of metal, bit of punk, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a little the, bit of Sex Pistols, yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right, you know, you've got Duff doing that, you got uh, the Axl Roses want to be this glorious rock star, slash, wanting to be a kind of rock, a kind of guitar hero, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's a that's a pretty potent mix of stuff,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I just, I think it's, I just think it's interesting that. All of Izzy's, the majority of Izzy's songs have a certain sort of stuff. I mean, all of Izzy's songs are the ones which are probably closest to the Appetite material. Yeah. Double Talking Jive ain't too far. He does lead vocals on that as well. You um, know, 14 Years, which he does lead vocals on that as well. Pretty Tied Up, I think, could have been on Appetite, uh, which is about his experience with the Dominatrix. Lovely stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> uh, Dustin Bones right next door to hell you know perfect crime fucking great song i think he's responsible yeah as i say just for a lot of the meat i do think i do, if i'm totally honest um i think he's responsible for some of the not so great songs on on UG Illusion one in particular yes. i don't think anyone really needs you ain't the first mm.
0: oh yeah that's all right okay okay you know, I mean, you don't need. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those songs where I think you could probably lose a couple of them. Yeah, and that would be in the pot for like you could you could use you could lose lose your illusion. You <laughs> lose, you could lose it. I, I I don't hate
1: you ain't the first. I just don't think it's particularly necessary on an album that's already too long. Mm. But, but what is all I'd say? Uh, we we obviously disagree on this, but um, I, I'm not massively into bad obsession. I think it's
0: fine, but I like it. Yeah, okay, yeah, I fair. Like
1: it. They played it a lot. On the tour, they played it loads, um, but I never, I was never massive into it. Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I kind of. Uh, bad apples is fine. I yeah, can, that is just. Fine, yeah, right? bad apples is meh, it's fine, uh, but you know, double talking, dry. Fourteen years, you could be yeah. mine. Pretty tied up. He's done better on the second album than he. Yeah, he he definitely has. I would agree with that. Yep, yep, yeah, yep, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, no, I think it was. Imp- I think it is important to mention Izzy stradler's contribution because people are unaware mm. of
0: it, I believe. Um, What's interesting about this album and this set of albums, I think, is that uh, the reviews were really positive. They because were. it sold a lot initially. Mm. We sort of mentioned Nirvana and the, the shift and, and why all that happened. Um, we also mentioned how much money was being thrown at it and how, I guess, how um, disconnected from their fan base they would have become due to that. certainly those
1: who worshipped appetite and wanted yeah. them to do appetite too yeah yeah
0: um and i think like if i was to go well what's the moment when it really properly changed in my head i think it's the tour with metallica i think the tour with metallica who were a big band before but they released them that you know Guns N' Roses you Use Your Illusion? That's not what the first album that people think about when they think about Guns N' Roses. No, the, in the main, mm. the majority of people, the majority of people. I'm not talking about you in the you know with your fucking obituary <laughs> T-shirt on. I know you like <laughs> Kill 'Em All more, right? But the majority of people on this planet, when they think of Metallica, they think of the Black Album. Mm. Metallica mm. broke through massive on the Black Album. Guns N' Roses were, as you say, already they, they had done it. It had happened. Mm. Um, so to go out on tour with Metallica who were like oh now you're superstars as well um and Metallica on a you know a shorter tighter tauter, heavier record Metallica in their prime yeah. you know yeah um to go out and bring Faith No More and Body Count out with yeah. them Metallica can hang with Faith No More and Body Count yeah you know yeah. Metallica can play after Body Count and not look like the past yeah I don't think Guns N' Roses can. Mm. And I think Guns N' Roses went out on that tour and uh, from from what I understand from the report you read the reports you read the reviews they were they were getting shown up by Metallica every night.
1: Hmm. Uh, I think in some cases, I think there are definitely some reviews which would agree with that. Mm. Um, I think it's interesting to point out that um, whilst Guns N' Roses had just released, you know, the most, (laughs) debatably, one of the most excessive albums in rock history, Metallica had just come out with an album which was downsizing what they had done because their excessive album was Justice Yep. um and they uh black album was very much stripping things back it was excessive in a production sense and it sounds massive but songwriting wise it's metallica stripped down mm-hmm. um hence why it's so successful instant uh yeah instantaneous and and um i wouldn't yeah you know, i'm not saying this is a diss to the black album but i don't think it's a very layered record i don't think it's the kind of record that you Know you go back to in 10 years' time and go, Oh, I never heard that little
0: bit in the unforgiven, or no, whatever, but if you're you know. standing in a stadium yeah. and it's happening in front of you, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, then you will be belted. new blood joins this earth, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's an interesting juxtaposition between the two. Mm. In terms of we, we, what, what were you saying? You said th- that that was the point where the tide turned. Well,
0: I felt, I feel like rather than grunge which happened kind of on its own and just kill and, and just change and music just changed and it made guns and roses and even but even metallica yeah got caught up in the you know post the black album when load came out it was like oh you're kind of d-. Yeah. You know, that's the first time people started going like metallica just the old guys definitely it, whatever yeah. so grunge changed a hell of a lot of stuff um Metallica always found a way to kind of circumnavigate that, I think. Yeah. in As New Metal went through, you know, obviously St. Anger happened. But they they seemed like they were still pretty able to remain at the forefront of... Whereas Megadeth and Anthrax didn't, yeah. and bands like that didn't. And Slayer kind of tried to join in a little bit. Although, you know, no one ever likes to mm. admit that. Um, uh, Metallica always found a way to... to uh, because of their size, I think is one thing. But also, they just did things in such a different way that it meant that they were always still just Metallica. Like Metallica could always hang with whoever the big new metal band or whoever the big current metal band were. Metallica are able to kind of go, yeah, but we're Metallica. Yeah. And people go, all oh, right, cool. Whereas and in the
1: I... 80s and 90s, they were incredibly
0: good at that as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas... Uh, Guns N' Roses going out tour, like I said with, with Faith No More, mm. like bringing you know the, the the most experimental odd alternative metal band on the planet out as the opening act on Angel Dust, mm. uh, and that's your opening act, and then Guns N' Roses are coming out with these very long, very bloated, you know, like we've mentioned the stuff we've mentioned, Lena Skinner and the Rolling Stones mm. and Elton John, mm. Mm. and playing that. After or body count, do you know what I mean? You've got a gangster rapper fronting yeah. fronting a thrash metal band. Yeah. Right? At which, you know, it was not a thing. I know obviously we all know rap metal's a massive deal now. It was not a thing in the in the early 90s. Like, yeah, all right, public enemy and anthrax, run DMC and Aerosmith, yeah. But the idea of an actual gangster rapper from Compton, yeah. the dude who invented gangster rap taking a metal band out on tour with Metallica and Guns N' Roses, like tough for Guns N' Roses to suddenly seem like the dangerous band when this is in the middle of the cop killer controversy with with, with Body Count. And that's before you even get to Metallica, who, like I say, you know, Metallica were the stars. Yeah. Like they were at that point, they were, this was a co-headlining tour. You've got one band who released a double album of elongated, bloated, slower, much more involved, quite long, lengthy material. And you've got, like you say, another band who've just gone, here is the fattest sounding four minutes of riffs, crunch, drums, choruses. Yeah. Like, it's 12 bangers straight down the road, hard rock stroke, heavy yeah. metal, perfection, built for stadiums. Yeah. Yeah. Who's going to come out of that looking not better but more exciting
1: I certainly think Metallica came out of it looking better mm. um, to be honest because but I actually think it's more down to the rather abhorrent way Guns N' Roses aka Axl Rose acted yeah. on that tour but so, was that not
0: down I mean you know a lot of the reports I read Axl play, was playing up because he was getting pissed off that Metallica were getting this you know this incredible reaction
1: um, I have read that opinion I don't think that's true Because I mean in terms of for example Axel turning up late on stage I mean he'd been doing that for several years Beforehand um in terms of acting up in uh these massive long rants that he would uh go into on the stage, i mean if you ever have a spare couple of hours go onto youtube and just type in guns and roses axel rants and you'll have a whale of a time (laughs) oh my god it's something that i do on a regular basis and i love it um but um you know, I mean, they were courting those kind of controversial things way before the Metallica and Guns N' Roses tour. I think um, because that tour was one of the biggest tours of the 90s, it was just more in the pub, even more in the public eye. Yeah. And um, they I
0: mean, you know, he had problems with his voice at the time yeah. as well. I mean, they, they played New York and... Uh, he was diagnosed with severe damage to his vocal cords and told that he couldn't sing for at least a week, so he had to reschedule and cancel some of the tour. That's not his fault, admittedly. Obviously, the big controversy and why you you had that, what appeared to be that rift between the two bands is what happened at the Montreal Olympic Stadium where James Hetfield suffered third-degree burns. And (laughs) rather than go on and do a show... And make up, you know, you've had half a Metallica show. And then rather than go on and give these people that pay this money, you know, the Guns N' Roses show they're expecting, Axel incites a riot.
1: Yeah. Um, they came on late as well. Yeah. Um, this is, um, is this St. Louis, Missouri? Um we're talking about. That
0: was, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: So um, this is how Rolling Stone uh, reported it. Uh, the trouble starts as soon as Rose arrives at the show, when someone with the promoter begins hassling him like an overexcited fan. Guns and Roses take the stage, and immediately Rose begins feeling uncomfortable about the security staff of the venue. He sees the security guards shove a fan. He sees numerous bottles and cameras in the crowd. Several bottles are lobbed at the stage, two of which hit McKagan. Meanwhile, a gang of bikers in the front row has been intimidating other fans. One of these bikers begins making a nuisance of himself, screaming Rose's name and trying to get his attention. At one point, Rose interrupts the show so the biker can hand him a card with his name on it. Shortly afterwards, Rose notices the biker taking pictures. He asks security to confiscate the camera, and when they fail to, he dives into the crowd. As he's holding onto the biker, venue security jumps Rose. He slaps one security guard the fact that it says slaps rather than hits guns N' roses bodyguards retrieve rose from the melee and get him back onto the stage he has lost a contact lens can't see and is furious for having been manhandled by security staffers who have been paid to protect him he stalks off the stage his bandmates follow 10 minutes later when the house lights are turned on fans begin rioting guns and roses offer to play a few more songs but by that point things are too out of hand they're advised to leave the building It takes police several hours to get the riot, which results in 60 injuries, 16 arrests, $200,000 in damage to the brand new amphitheater and the loss of most of Guns N' Roses' equipment under control. Um, Yes. Um, I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Ridiculous behaviour. Silly boy. I mean, it's just a bloody, like, (sighs) of course the critics were going to have their knives out for axel and guns because axel would make critics wait all the time in terms of interviews he would turn up two hours three hours late or or you know an interview would be scheduled for friday and then Axel would phone them up at 2 a.m. on a Sunday and go, oh, I'm willing to do the interview now, come over to my hotel. Mm. That is very common. Whenever you read an interview in this period, particularly, it usually starts with, I receive a phone call at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it isn't until, f- it's not until 5 a.m. that we actually settle down. And I, you know, and uh yeah, I, 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 I I don't think guns ever turned up on time to any of those shows. And in some cases they were turning up hours late. Um, I have, I mean, once the reunion happened, he's been very, very good with turning Mm. up on time. But, you know, when I saw Axel and friends, I saw Axel and friends four or five times. And there have been multiple times when I remember seeing them once at the O2
0: and they, I think they turned up at quarter to 11. Um. <laughs> you know, like, something like fucking t- half midnight or something. They turned up at Reading and tried to only played a few songs. Everyone walked off. Yeah, and, um, yeah, just yeah. Before everything came back. I mean.
1: Leeds Festival, the first time I, I saw them. I mean, um, I remember they were playing until about two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And it meant that it was at Temple Newsome at that point, which was about. Uh, I mean, it feels like it was 10 miles away. That's probably an over-exaggeration, but it was a very long way away from the train station. All the buses had stopped. All the coaches going back to the station had stopped by the time guns uh, finished, obviously. And me and my brother had to walk back to the station. And I remember it took us four hours to walk. Oh so it was a long fucking time. I mean, thankfully, I was 17 at that point and had more energy than I have now. But, you know, yeah, I mean... It did the sort of thing for years, years and years and years
0: and years and years, and that is kind of was the beginning of the end. Really, we spent a long time kind of not having a Guns and Roses for a long time. I would see bits and bobs in Kerrang, in the, when I started buying it in sort of ninety five, ninety six, going, "What's going on? What's going on?" And we waited and waited and waited for. I'm gonna
1: uh, before we get onto that, I'm gonna counter with one thing. Mm. I, I think it's really I, I, Duff in particular has said that it's really difficult to pinpoint when the beginning of the end was, but Alan Niven, who was their first uh, manager, actually says that he thinks from from internally he thinks the beginning of the end was when Izzy left. Uh, I believe he called him. He, I don't I don't know exactly what he means by this, but he called him the heart of the soul of Guns N' Roses um and and he was very specific that it was the heart of the soul I mean you know and and he very much puts it down to that Uh, maybe Izzy was the one thing that was grounding the band or attempting to ground the band because he definitely seems like i think duff and slash and izzy all seem pretty down to earth especially yeah. considering how massive they are megastars but um i think izzy was probably the most down to earth and chilled and all that kind of thing and you know he'd been trying to ground the band for years and years and years and it just couldn't do it you know mm. I, I debatably ever actually but you know um so that's what alan niven says and obviously he was with the band for like Three years or so, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, I mean, certainly the Guns N' Roses and Metallica tour didn't help things at all. No. Um, I mean, yes, the period where Guns N' Roses weren't really doing anything, we got um, Sympathy spaghetti for the Hit. Devil, yeah. Spaghetti. Oh, Spaghetti Instant, so Spaghetti, 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 spaghetti Instant came out in 1993, it yeah. was a uh, covers album of mainly punk songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite an uncharacteristic move. It had, um, the likes of oh, there was Sex Pistols cover on there, wasn't there? Uh, T Rex, uh, Nazareth, uh, UK subs,
0: bunch of stuff. Um, it's patchy. I, I don't even know if I've ever listened to it.
1: Really, yeah, ah. Oh. There's a couple of good. Down on the Farm, it's good fun. Oh, yeah. Originally yeah. by UK subs. Yeah. Um, also has a wonderfully bad Mockney accent from Axl Rose. Yeah, yes. Oh, yes. Although they did some entertainment. It's brilliant. Um, and Ain't It Fun, which was originally by the Dead Boys. Yeah. Their version of Ain't It Fun is fucking great. Um, Soundgarden, we're on there. They mm-hmm. do a
0: cover of Big Dumb Sex. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's all right. Um, few live albums, a few EPs and bits and bobs and then... Not even
1: EPs, really. They released uh, Sympathy for the Devil, which is a cover of the Rolling Stones song for the Interview with the Vampire soundtrack. Terrible cover. Um, yeah, rubbish, yeah. Um, that was the last Guns N' Roses recording Slash was on, up till... Well, unless he's on another one later on, but who knows. Um, yeah, uh, around... 99 2000, there was a double live album called Live Era uh, 87 to 93, which mm-hmm. was actually very good. Um, that was released, uh, which was primarily taken from the Uzi Illusion and Appetite tours. Uh, that's yeah, that's really good. Um, uh, Best of was re- a Greatest Hits was yeah. released against Axel's wishes, he was furious about it. It's not very good. No. Um, god, what else? Oh, oh my god, um. A song from the End of Day soundtrack. Yeah, the Arnie soundtrack. Yeah. The Arnie soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really curious to know what you think of Oh My God. I can't remember. Ah, oh, I love Oh My God. I think it's brilliant.
0: I can't remember what it sounds like at all.
1: So uh, weird and dusty. It, it, it was the Nine Inch Nails thing that yes. Axel was trying. Yeah, I to... do remember
0: that, but I don't. And don't. I couldn't tell you if it was any good or not.
1: <laughs> I really like it. It's bonkers. It's absolutely insane. I mean, Buckethead's playing guitar on it and it's it's crazy. A lot of people just dismissed it and said it was rubbish, but I really love that song. <laughs> Call it a guilty pleasure. I don't know. I feel like it's the sort of thing, you know, when I Disappear came out yeah, was yeah. I disappear and everyone was like, "Ah, oh, that's rubbish. But now people look back on it, I Disappear and it's like, oh, yeah, that's a really good, good song, there, actually. Yeah. I think that's, oh my God, as well. Right. I, think, I I think it's a really good song, but mm. it's bonkers it's absolutely
0: balmy um but yeah great and then, then we got Chinese Democracy which I'll pick as one of my classic albums <laughs> no I won't I absolutely categorically would not do that I would I would one day I would love to talk about Chinese Democracy well though. we should we should definitely do it but just not under the proviso not, that not, under, a classic record. not under the proviso no. of a classic record at all but one day we should
1: definitely talk about it
0: so Remfry. in summation I think we've basically gone through everything there um Use your illusion too. As your first pick as a classic album, ultimately sell this to the people as why it deserves to be in here and then we'll go. Um, It's uh, the type of album that you
1: will probably never get ever again, even if, just to use an example that you love to bring up um, all the time, Fucked Up, Stose Your Dreams. Yeah phenomenal records i'm not taking anything when
0: we're gonna talk about fucked up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) phenomenal records and uh incredibly expansive double album in itself not as long as user illusion one and two but you know um and takes on many different styles and uh attributes and so on and so forth i don't think it's as diverse as user illusion though for example and obviously i mean to be fair fucked up to not have the budget that guns and roses had so maybe it's an unfair comparison from that mm. perspective but just in case it's very diverse. don't get me wrong it's, well, steve raised an eyebrow by the way because i said something nasty about one of his favorite albums of all time it, it, it it's, it's not nasty it's a, it's a great record and it's very 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 diverse i don't yeah. think it's as diverse as november rain to perfect crime
0: i'm not going to get into this but okay fine, fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whoops. Um period. Um, we'll <laughs> um and it's just it's a snapshot, as all albums are, it's a snapshot of a period of time. Mm. But this particular period of time is one that we probably will never see in the music industry ever again. Yeah. Um, it's where it's it's at the apex of when the music industry was getting so big it was about to implode. It took another 10 years or so for for it to implode, but you could argue that this is probably the beginning point of the really ridiculous excess and um, allowing musicians and rock stars to be rock stars and basically get away with murder, um, in Motley Crue's case literally uh, <laughs> um and uh is that libelous no no, no. Uh,
0: he, we, so he was talking about his own, we were talking about vince Neil's vocal cords Oh, he's God. murdered them <laughs> <laughs> my ear he's murdered my ears um
1: and um yeah I, I i also think you know most people would have chosen appetite i mean I didn't want to do uh, appetite obviously an amazing record. I didn't want to do appetite because that story's been told so many fucking times. Yeah. I actually think the user illusion story is far more interesting than the appetite story anyway. Not that the appetite story isn't interesting, but mm. it is a f- far more interesting story because of those excesses yeah. and also Use Your illusion is massively maligned generally as like our oh, bloated excessive you know bloody blah 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 as as we prove there, trying to make it a single disc is very difficult to do because the amount of quality material across these two discs and two is my favorite but one has some fantastic stuff on it as well it's really high mm. it's really really high is it two and a half hours of all killer no filler no but i'd say it's an hour and a half mm. of all killer no filler um and that's a pretty amazing statement to make on your second proper full length studio album, not including G&R Lies, mm. uh, which no band would be able to do now. They they wouldn't be given the resources to do it. To I'm not saying bands wouldn't necessarily be capable, although I don't think there were how many bands that would be capable. Yeah. But but even if they were capable these days, they wouldn't be given the resources to do that. So is it perfect from start to finish? No. But it is fucking good. And when it's good, it's outstanding.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, just to sort of add my closing thoughts on the record. It's not my pick. I don't think there'll ever be a time where I will be a proper Guns and Roses enthusiast like some people are. People, I know people absolutely love this band and I can see why. I understand why. For what it's worth, I think this is a really good album. I really enjoy going back to it. Um I've not listened to it all the way through for a very 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 long time. And can I ask you one question? Did you feel it uh, dated? Parts of it I think have mm. dated a little bit, but then, you know, it's not often that I listen to that kind of rock and roll or mm. that kind of like very um, overblown, old school rock music that much, but the songs are are really good on it. And considering it's seventy five minutes long, I mean, I did listen to both, but you know, considering each of them are seventy five minutes long, usually using two in particular, it does go quicker. It does than it? the seventy five minutes you might think it does. And, yeah. and I really like the fact that this album exists for all the reasons you've just said, and. I think it existed in 2020 with this huge weight of history of it being a failure, of it not being, you know, um, appetite for destruction. Mm. Um, People can be really snobby and really shitty about it. I've never been really snobby and really shitty about it, but I always thought, well, yeah, appetite for destruction is the best one as someone who doesn't really care. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Who doesn't really have an opinion one way or the other. But going back to it and listening to it as a proper body of work, I am. Impre- I'm, I, I was really. I'm really impressed by it. Yeah. Um, there are songs in it that are superb, brilliant, brilliant rock songs. Like and like. ones that I didn't expect to be. Like. Um. Well, hold on. Let me think off the to- off the top of my head. I would say, "Yesterday's" is something I've never thought about that song. Yeah. And I was like, "This is really, really, really great." Yeah. You know. Um, "Locomotive" is probably not my favourite one of the you know, the, the epics. It was one that I never thought about. But again, like most of the epics, I think it's it's good. Really um, hard
1: rocking. Kind yeah. of the closest they ever got to metal,
0: but yeah. not quite. Yeah. And, you know, um, even getting The Ring, which I always thought like, stupid, what's the point? Rubbish. I've gone back to it and gone, oh, it's not a disaster. No, like, it's definitely just, not. It's just... Very, very silly. Um,
1: So we've not even mentioned Breakdown. I mean, Breakdown's a fucking wicked song. You know, there's that holy trinity of Breakdown, Pretty Tied Up and Locomotive on Use Your Illusion 2, which I just think is like, oh, I don't know, almost 20 minutes of like hard rock perfection. It's just fucking great. They're just wicked, wicked songs.
0: So, you know, Guns and Roses are, are very good. And you're right, it couldn't have killed them, but it's certainly critically maligned. Yeah, definitely. I think, and, and I think it's unfairly critically maligned. Um, the one last thing that I will say, the final thing I will say about it, is if it were not for this being Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, we might not have got one of the best jokes from one of the best TV shows ever. <gasps> Arrested Development. Ben Stiller's <laughs> joke on Arrested Development. Ben Stiller plays Tony Wonder, who's a musician, and he wanted to call his first a magician, DVD. Magician. Oh, yeah. What did I say? You said musician. Oh, sorry, a magician. Yeah, he's a magician. And he wanted to call his first DVD Use Your Illusion. But he said, apparently, <laughs> the name of some band have already taken a name. So he said, so I'm going to call it Use Your Illusion 2. <laughs> <laughs> as in T O O. As in Use Your Illusion as well. <laughs> uh, it is. Really, really. And then he funny. finds out that's been taken yeah. as well. So He's, he calls it Use, use Your Illusion. Uh, illusion. <laughs> as an
1: A double
0: Yeah. So but, Yeah. Um great. Well done, Arrested Development. Well done, one of many, one of a cajillion brilliant jokes on that yeah, series. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Thanks very much for listening. Um, we will be putting one of my picks into the Riot Act classic album uh Vault um next. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. Um, Miley Cyrus, <laughs> yeah, but which album? Oh, um, no. uh, yeah, I'm not gonna tell you which one that'll be for next time, but yes, this is something that we're going to be doing on a regular basis so, um uh, I was going to say suggest you can't suggest any there are our picks no. our picks alone and with my one we might even have a guest coming in to talk about it we're going to try and get some guests on these as yeah, well we're going to so, try and do some guest stuff yeah so that should be interesting so yes we will be back soon uh, but that is Renfrey's first pick and the very first album going into the riot act classic album series is use your illusion two. cheers guys